0: Love Talk Radio.
1: and their versatility bring new light to many topics in and out of the world of fantasy sports. Guests can reach the show by calling 347-324-5404 Red versus Blue Sports Talk Radio where Planet Red and Big Blue Nation collide. Let's hope they're still friends afterwards. Here they are Scott and Mike. Mike, it's Fantasy
2: Players Association Radio, the Red vs. Blue Show. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Red vs. Blue, high-stakes fantasy radio, wherever you may be. Thanks for making us part of your night. I'm Scott Atkins, team legacy in the world of high-stakes fantasy football, and as always, I'm joined by the big blue co-host from Brandon Burke, Kentucky, Michael Trent. Mike, the draft is live. We're already seven picks in, and it's a star-studded lineup, Mike. This is the FPC Live, pick-by-pick, pick commentary draft. We got two hours of action, Mike. How you doing, buddy? Hey,
3: man, I'm doing great. I don't know how I'll be, how I'll be doing by uh, 10, 1030, but I'll I tell you what, just looking at the early picks, uh, it's looking uh, pretty exciting. I mean, you know, you talking about a, a star-studded group with uh, Hudson, Glenn, Chris, uh, uh, Jeff, Lou, and uh, Orma, uh, Henry Muto, I mean, we got a whole bunch that uh they're going ahead, they're taking the picks, they didn't waste any time with the Foster, Rice McCoy, Graham Matthews. Uh it's gonna be it's gonna be a lot of fun, Scott. Three four seven
2: three two four five four zero four is the number. This is the Red vs. Blue show on Blog Talk Radio. We're on fantasy sports FSC.fm. dot com, We stream live on iTunes Radio, all that jazz. Uh, We have a great lineup tonight. We have Lou Tranquilli from BFDFantasy.com joining us tonight. We also have Alex Kaganowski, one of the founding uh, owners of the Fantasy Football Players Championship and partner with Football Guys for the Football Guys Players Championship. Uh, Real quick rundown. This is a $150,000 contest that had several thousand uh, contestants in it last year. They're shooting for, I know, at least 3,000 this year. It was a huge blast. Uh, and we have some very talented drafters in this thing. We're going to bring on Lou Tranquilly from BSDFantasy.com right now and get this show under road. Lou, uh, welcome to Red vs. Blue, man. You had the fifth pick, and it's uh, it you, you get the guy that everybody's talking about that has that number one potential, Ryan Matthews.
4: Yes, I did. I was glad to do it. Uh, would have been happy with Calvin Johnson right there, Scott. And by the way, thanks for having me. And hello, Mike. Uh, yeah, I. Ryan Matthews, easy pick for me in the in the top five running backs. So, uh, yeah, glad to do it. Hey
3: hey, Lou, real quick did uh, did it surprise you to see uh, Jeff go ahead and take uh, Jimmy Graham ahead of you, or or were you pretty much locked in on Matthews?
4: Well, no, it, it, it's surprising because I thought it would be Calvin. I was hoping someone would uh, would like someone else other than uh, then than Ryan Matthews at the number four. You know, any any of the top four players might like maybe Aaron Rodgers, might like Calvin Johnson. So uh, surprising that it's Jimmy Graham, sure. I, I am one, though, Mike, that always says draft who you like. It's your money you're paying to be in the draft. So if you like Jimmy Graham, go get him. And this is a one-and-a-half point per reception for the tight end league, So uh, so it does make some sense.
2: It is, uh looks like we are already getting close to the end of the first round. Let's just run down the draft for everybody listening. Arian Foster, Ray Rice, LaShawn McCoy, we've seen this pattern pretty much consistently in just about 95% of all drafts. Every once in a while, a Jimmy Graham or a Calvin Johnson does slip up into that top three. I may have seen a Ryan Matthews even once, but uh, pretty much outside of those six guys. Oh, Aaron Rodgers. We've seen Aaron Rodgers there too, Mike. So... Yep. Uh, the, the three conventional running backs, Jimmy Graham, goes to Jeff O'Dell. Uh, Jeff O'Dell, I'm sorry. Anacott Steele is the team name. We'd like to talk to Jeff tonight about that pick. And then Lou does uh, take Ryan Matthews, who seems safe. Uh, Lou, I do want to ask, are you concerned about the injury label with Ryan Matthews?
4: Oh, absolutely. You have to be. I mean, it's just uh, hasn't shaken it yet. That's all there is to it. The guy just has not shaken the injury label. So, yeah, you're, you're – um, your concern has to be that he, he will not last and really the thing with uh with uh with Matthews is there uh, I can't draft any kind of handcuff to him as good as norv turner offenses have been uh there aren't any handcuffs out there in san diego in my opinion this year
2: yeah if so it's uh it's uh, it's a total flyer in the dark it looks like Matthews did miss two games last year so for for a running back in the national football league playing 14 games isn't that bad um but he also shared a lot of time with Mike Tolbert. So I'm sure people are predicting him to cross over that 300 carry plateau this year. He also catches just a ton of balls. You got to think that um, his, his teammate Mike Tolbert caught a lot of balls last year. He caught 50 himself. So you, if he can string together a solid season, this guy does have uh number one running back written all over him. Uh, it's just kind of, we're all still trying to figure out how this Mike Tolbert thing shakes out. He He was a dangerous weapon out of the backfield, Lou, and when when you lose a player like that, what does that do to the offense? They they brought in a couple of receivers, so how do you see that whole situation shaking out?
4: Well, uh, the San Diego offense really is, it's become a bit of a wide receiver by committee, guys. It really has. It's an, an interesting offense because you've got uh, Norv Turner that's been so good to the fantasy football uh, world over the years. I think he remains very good. To us at the running back and the tight end position, but those wide receivers you know Malcolm Floyd is an eight to ten touchdown guy, but he's also an eight hundred yard guy, so he's not really a wide receiver that you're in any big hurry to get your hands on. I like Robert Meacham a whole lot I think last year he showed when he had the opportunity with the Saints that he could be a very solid number one wide receiver. however, like you said they they've really started to rotate wide receivers in and out of that offense so I love Phillip Rivers, how cheap you can get him in drafts right now. He's dropping down. So I like Rivers. I like Matthews. I like Gates, the wide receivers. If you get him cheap, you've done well. Don't overpay for him.
3: We are nearing.
2: Go ahead, Mike.
3: Yeah, I want to ask you a real quick question because I've noticed uh, some of the drafts I've done in the last couple weeks and the one that's going on right now is uh, Forte and Gronkowski. Uh, they just went. Um, it just seems a little bit different this year as far as the one, two, three spot and how important that is. Uh, once you saw that you were uh, drafting fifth, I mean, did that really upset you? Or uh, were you thinking, well, no, I would love to have 1-2 or maybe 5 is good?
4: Uh, well, Mike, I, I think that's a great question because so many drafters do – Really prefer a spot to draft from. I'm not one that really cares where I draft. I think there, there's just you know there are very good players to be had in all the different spots. There's just a comfort level in those first three picks because they are just so mindless, if you will. Ray Rice is outstanding, McCoy outstanding, and of course, Arian Foster is, is a monster. So it really just is a comfort factor when you, you talk about those top three picks if you will i just have the confidence of my my ability to draft a good team from any spot the 5th pick i can tell you in all the draft reviews that i've done the 5th through 8th pick really do excite me this year because of what i've seen not only in the first round but the second third round at, at these this spot has has looked very good to me
2: Three four seven three two four five four zero four is the number. I'm just interacting with the chat room. Mike, Tr- Mike Trent, we have 12 picks in the first round already, so the first round is complete. When you scan across that list, which one player on that list and that row of the draft scares you the most?
3: Scares as far as what?
2: Just- uh, you know, just uh, you-, you take the pick, you're 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 crossing your fingers for the best, but you're like, man, this could turn out bad.
3: Uh to be honest with you, hey, it would Matthews. be Matt Forte.
2: <laughs> you say Matt Forte.
3: Yeah, it would it would be Todd and uh Travis with Matt Forte. Uh I like everything else, uh Aaron Foster, Ray Rice, LaShawn, uh Jimmy Graham. I I think it's a little early to take him uh, in that spot. But then again, you know, uh Jeff Figures that, hey, man, I'm going to sure up a tight end, and that's the way it is. Ron Matthews and uh, Calvin, Chris, uh, Aaron Rodgers, go ahead and take that. Jeremy Fadden, no problem with that. That would be Matt Forte,
2: yes. Lou, I don't think we've ever seen a running back, uh, you know, place in the top 10 and still miss five games. Actually, I think he was outside of the top 10 at 11. But Forte was on an absolute tear getting the 200 carries, getting the 50 receptions. There obviously was the contract situation. Do you have any fear in taking Matt Forte in the first round?
4: No, I don't. I, I'm I'm a Matt Forte guy. You're going to have to live without the touchdowns, that's for sure. Uh, I think Michael Bush was added to, to score touchdowns this year. So I, I think you just have to get used to the fact that you won't be getting a lot of touchdowns with, with a Matt Forte. The receptions and the yardage will more than make up for it. That guy is really good. And, and – and he's not exactly playing against the the uh, toughest of defenses in the division all season long either. So a lot a lot to like about Matt Forte, in my opinion.
2: Yeah, he he was definitely uh, didn't get the fanfare coming out of college, out of a you know, small school to lane and uh, th- a lot of people thought maybe he didn't have the the right running style. Uh, I, re- I remember that coming out. I'm not a big <clears throat> draft scout guy, but I just remember that there there was some significant knocks on him coming out of the draft and the bears somewhat believed in him and and gave him a shot. And, and he's just done everything with it. I I like to see a guy like that get rewarded and get paid rather than get thrown away. Like so many running backs do, they get used and thrown away. Um, So I, if I looked at that list in the first round, four take comes to mind because of Michael Bush. I think Michael Bush will be used in that offense. Uh, But, but I think more than anything, there's two guys that stand out to me. And it's McFadden and Chris Johnson. I mean, there wasn't anything really wrong with Chris Johnson last year, and, and this is the FFPC, so there is a, you, you have to understand the rules, you do have a, a short 11-week regular season, you have two money games, weeks 12 and 13, and then you go to the playoffs in 14 through 16, so those 11 weeks, you're battling for, for 4 one of four wild card uh, one of four spots to go to the playoffs uh, in that week 12 and 13. Two of those are decided on record, best record, and two are decided on total points, and if you want that Head-to-head record, which you do. That's the one seed. Chris yeah. Johnson seems to be the guy that just disappoints you week to week. At the end of the year, his totals are going to be look okay, and they're going to be fine. The question is, do those head-to-head games? Is he going to lay lay an egg and disappear like he did last year? It seemed like so many times. And then at the end of the year, you're you're on the outside looking in. You're not in the playoffs. He finished number nine. But Lou, I I think if you looked, there weren't a lot of playoff teams with Chris Johnson on.
4: No, there weren't. He he finished strong, which is great. Uh, but he finished strong. He didn't start strong, so he did. He left he he left you on the outside looking in, Scott. I, I I like him this year because I like the schedule. Again, not a, a player that's not playing against the toughest of competition in the division. Uh, defensively, the only really difficult one is the Houston Texans. Everyone else soft defenses. So I do like him to bounce back this year. I I. I would have taken him in the second round here if I could have gotten him. Uh, but he's going in, the, he's starting to go late in the first round now. Can I ask you guys about a player? Cause I, I'm really interested to hear what you guys say. Sure. Trent Richardson. Love him or don't love him? Mike, I'll give you the floor.
3: Uh, I love him. I, I love him in that situation. Uh, unfortunately, I don't think it's going to be all that great this year. I see where uh, Henry just took uh MGB, which is kind of a reach, but uh you got to you got to realize we're talking about Cleveland, and Cleveland has to overcome some things. And uh, I don't know if Trent, I love Trent Richardson, his ability, but to take him really early, I can't do it. All
4: right, now now I'm on the clock right now, guys. As we're talking here, do you want to hear what I'm Go thinking? Go for it.
0: All, All right, so,
4: I have a I have a player in this format that I really really like. I have one ranked higher, but I I'm going back and forth in my mind right now between Darren Sproles and Wes Welker? Hmm. Who would you guys take?
2: Well, Lou, I'll jump in here. I took Darren Sproles the other night at 2-2, and it might have been a little early, but when I look at the rest of the draft, the way these drafts lay out, the wide receiver position is so deep this year. 3-4, 5-6, you're getting stud wide receivers and putting it together, whereas you're taking a little bit more of a risk on those running backs around that range and in a lot of timeshare situations, a lot of high upside guys, but guys that aren't definite starters week in week out. I think Sproles proved to us. He's a big, he's a big game guy, and he played big in every single game. I, I don't think if we looked at his stats, we saw many down games at all. And that's the kind of guy that I like to have on a head-to-head type of league.
4: Totally agree, and just took him.
2: Yeah, right. that's Sproles. And uh, you
3: know, Scott, you make, uh, you make a lot of good points there. I mean. Suppose is going to be there, you know, one down after another, uh, and it just seems like uh, Welker may not. But uh, I, that would have been a, that's a toss up there. But uh, good, good pick, Luke.
1: Thank you.
2: Yeah, it's anybody's guess, really. I mean, I, you're splitting hairs here. Welker's a guy that can also carry you, but they do add Brandon Lloyd. Uh, they they have the tight ends that are always going to be involved, and you, you think about those red zone targets that are. Hernandez, and Gronkowski, uh, you, you just have to think that Welker's touchdown receptions aren't something that you can, you know, really count on. And Sproles, it seems, you know, a lot of them were big plays. If you take away the big plays, is Darren Sproles at, well, you can say that about anybody. So, sure. but he does, he makes the big plays. And, and you, the only thing that's different now that you have to consider, and i talked to a lot of, of the veteran high stakes players that trying to talk me, just give me another side of the coin here on, on Sproles. They say, "Hey, you're you're losing your head coach, the the mastermind behind it all." And he did he how much how responsible was he to put Sproles in those situations? Lou, you you do the coaching tree every year at BFT Fantasy, so you're an excellent person to ask that, that question. With without Sean Payton in on the sidelines, how, how does that shake things out for Drew Brees and company?
4: Well, I think you you have to take it take that into consideration just because the Saints offense has been so awesome, but. The last person you mentioned, I think, is the key here. I think Drew Brees uh, will be your on-field offensive coordinator. You know, they've got uh, they've got a really talented offense, but if you look at it, Brees is the key. A guy like Sproles that they got so much out of last year is the key. Colston and Jimmy Graham. The rest of the players really just rotate in and out. So, I I believe that you're going to see the same group of players. That you've seen in the past, uh, and even in the recent past, be very impactful for the uh, the New Orleans Saints. I I don't think they're going. I don't think we're going to get any, if you will, sleepers out of this offense this year, simply because the uh, the head coach is out of there. So I I think they're going to go with what they know. That's Breeze. That's Sproles. You'll see a a, an Ingram, uh, Pierre Thomas split for the carries. And then Colston will be your primary wide receiver. So I'm I'm pretty comfortable. Actually I'm very comfortable with the pick, especially in this format. Uh like you said, head to head, but also where uh kick returns, punt returns get credited to the player themselves. So you're looking at uh, the potential for that, especially with the Darren Sproles. Three four seven
2: three two four five four zero four. opening up the chat uh the draft room here. Is that a guy is Darren Sproles a guy that you you think about handcuffing? I mean, does can can he be handcuffed with a Mark Ingram later in the draft, Lou? Uh, and he that's a guy that that's a price tag that you're going to have to pay, um, you know, somewhere around the seventh, eighth, ninth round, maybe as late as tenth. Is, is that a price tag you can you can spend on a cuff for Darren Sproles?
4: I without question, I, I think uh, Mark Ingram is a is a very solid pick in double digit rounds with uh, with a ton of opportunity. So. Uh, you know, guy. The offensive coordinator, Pete Carmichael, is a is a good play caller who took over last year and got him involved. So I, I think you can see that again this year with uh, with a Mark Ingram. He he had the most carries for the team. Had a lot of guys like a Mark Ingram last year, by the way, that were very quiet in their uh, production, if you will. Where you know, Ingram led the Saints in carries, but I don't think anybody's winning with them on their team. So. Um, he, He's definitely worth backing up Darren Sproles with. If if I could pull it off, uh, I even will in this draft. So everybody in the draft room, I'm sure, just caught that, but that's okay.
2: <laughs> this, is, this, this is the Red vs. Blue show on Fantasy Players Association Radio. We are listening to Lou Tranquilly from BFD Fantasy. It's Scott and Mike here, as always, on Friday nights. Special start time of 9 p.m. We're going to go two hours tonight, see how many rounds we can get through. This is a good experienced, season group of drafters, so we can probably get through maybe 14, 15 rounds on the air and uh, maybe we'll wow. go, go a little bit of overtime. It's interesting to see how much a season can change, Mike. Last year, when we looked at these drafts, wide receiver heavy. And wide receivers still haven't changed. They're still dominant players. But now that there's so many many that seem to be emerging, it's back to the role of getting your quarterback, getting your tight end, maybe uh, getting the two running backs that we see tw- that done three to- four times wow. here in the first round. Only one team took two wide receivers, Mike. That's tracks, Ormond Rose, Calvin Johnson, and Roddy White. What do you think about that combination? Well, I,
3: I think it's a great combination. Uh, you know, there's no doubt that he's going to be fine with that, uh, but he's going to be reaching for running backs. Uh, you know, I, I'm looking at this draft and, and the way it's unfolding, and the one thing about it is uh, it's just like what uh, you, uh, Lou, and I were talking about. There's gonna be plenty of uh, wide receivers when I look down the list that that are gonna be fine. That that you can go ahead and get in the in round uh, five, six, seven that can solidify and you can have a good wide receiving core. Uh the one thing that kinda of surprised me was uh Hudson uh going after Doug Martin that early. Uh you know, he he took him uh, in the third round and you know that's on his come around and I, I just don't know uh I'm sure that uh he wanted to get somebody, but I, I just don't know. Doug Martin, that's pretty early, don't you think, Scott?
2: It's one of the high risk uh guys that uh I, I can't do it in a in a in a high stakes league. I can I can play all day long in the in the in the smaller leagues and things like that and play around with strategies like that, but I I I still I'm, I'm, I'm trying to understand. It's a Ciano guy. Obviously, he comes from Rutgers, and they love to pound it like you know Ray Rice. And and Lou knows all about him. He was his breakout player of the year, named him on BFD when he had that uh, big breakout. But Doug Martin is uh, he, he hasn't been anointed to me the the guy yet until he does it on the field. And Legarrette Blount's still a young guy. He might be a head case, but he's still young. He's still powerful. He still mows people over. So I'm not real sure. That I'm ready to spend such a high pick. I, I'm definitely not. I'm not ready to spend that high of a pick uh, on a, on a Doug Martin. Lou, what are your thoughts?
4: Well, I keep asking this question, Scott, and I, I talked about Trent Richardson. Why does Trent Richardson go in near the in the first round or near the first round, but Doug Martin goes so much later? That started to change. Uh, I I like Doug Martin a lot. Uh, Garrett Blunt is a good player, and last year when he had when when the bucks offense had a good game, LeGarrette blunt had a good game. you know, tampa bay was a team that just overall just as, as as the whole team, it had the organization if you will, just had a bad year. so to throw blunt, you know, to the to the push him to the curb basically doesn't really make a lot of sense to me either. i am I'm, I'm not quite sure why why drafters are doing it uh and they are i mean they are throwing him to the curb. he's he's going 10th ten, round and later. I like Doug Martin a lot. New coach in there w- wants you know wants his guy, if you will. So I-, I think that's why drafters are biting on it. But I'm with you guys. It- it's really early for a player that you know, does not have the job to himself just
2: yet. We're gonna take a call real quick from the 212 area code. You're on the air with Scott and Mike and Lou Tranquilly from BFD Fantasy. What's your question?
5: I'm just wondering, how does one get on your show? Finally, after about <laughs> 15 minutes. <laughs>
2: Oh, in... I
4: gotta go now, I'm sorry I recognize that voice I Coming in
2: from Parts here. Unknown, uh, Alex Kaganowski of the Fantasy Football Players oh. Championship Welcome Alex, and uh, what do you think so far of this draft, my man?
5: Pretty good, I actually, I'm sitting here and, and listening to you guys chat I, there was a couple of players I wanted to chime in on uh, very interesting uh, the FPC draft uh, or the FFPC drafts as always, each one is different and, uh, and this one uh, as well so, kind of interesting. I, I, I like the uh, Darren Sproles talk, and, and I certainly like the rookie running back talk a lot.
2: <laughs> As a high-stakes player, we kind of like to see rookies uh, go in the draft early. Trent Richardson, I don't think there's a lot of worries or concerns. I mean, hey, if if you watch college football, you've seen this guy. You know what he did. He was much more impressive than Mark Ingram. Mark Ingram was the veteran on that team, on that Alabama uh offense but you could everybody that was that watched college football knew that Richardson was the man from a very early uh early time in SEC football Mike you're one of the biggest SEC fans I know and there's no competition for carries in Cleveland now you look at the schedule for Cleveland if you're thinking about playoffs and trying to win this thing weeks 14, 15 and 16 aren't against Pittsburgh and Baltimore they're against KC, Washington and Denver uh, that That's really not that intimidating to me So uh, Mike You 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 stand behind Trent Richardson Lou, I'm, I'm, I'm curious to hear What you have to say With that type of a schedule
4: Well I, I hate Trent Richardson's schedule I have him ranked pretty high uh, Moved him down recently Because of the schedule And also because of the surrounding cast I think re- really what Trent Richardson's Attraction is for fantasy football purposes Number of times he's going to touch the football Young man, team that desperately needs some kind of offensive juice. This guy, he he could be a 375-touch player in 2012. Uh, It's it's really what elevates his value, uh, in my opinion, only. I think that's the only thing that saves him.
2: Well, let's let's go ahead and look at the rest of this draft, guys. We have two guys back to back here. Henry Muto has taken three running backs now. Adrian Peterson, we have to we have to fit in some time to talk Adrian Peterson because hey, he's a he's been the 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 story of fantasy football so for years ever since his you know his breakout rookie year and and he's been a top three guy. Now he had the injury, a late ACL injury, and to come back from that would be Superman. It would be superhuman. Alex, I, I know that uh, you're always sort of a, a make sense pick kind of guy. You're not not much of a, you take solid picks and it's always worked out for you. So Adrian Peterson, does it make sense to you to take him on that kind of injury in the third round?
5: Well, before we get to that, first of all, I, I feel like I'm, I'm rude. I, I came on the show. I didn't say hello to anyone. So Lou, hi. Mike, hi. <laughs> and hi, Scott. Hi, Alex. So, yeah.
0: Hi.
5: hi. <laughs> all right. Let me get to Adrian. First of all, that's a. I mean, look at that team: Chris Johnson, Maurice Jones-Drew, Adrian Peterson. I mean, Henry's a great drafter. He, you know, he, I know he plays in a lot of leagues, but how good would that team have been three years ago, huh? I mean, is that a championship team or what? <laughs>
4: that's but it's a three-year ago team, right?
5: But seriously, I mean, obviously that team could. I mean, it's still all three of those guys are still plenty young to have uh, enough impact. But Adrian Peterson in the third round. Um, I probably wouldn't do it uh, in his position, uh, because you're, he's passing up on a very on a quality wide receiver here to take a quarterback who may not, uh, to take a running back who's a number three running back who may now be contributing to his team for a while, and even if he is, you know, he may not be at hundred percent. So I think what he did was he passed up, you know, with the two running backs in the first two rounds. I would have definitely locked in a number one wide receiver on my team. So in terms of team construction, I don't think I agree with that, um, with that particular pick. But uh, Adrian Peterson in the third round—I mean, this early in August, uh, you know, how how could you not take that shot and you know, hopeful hope, hope that he comes on strong maybe two three weeks into the season.
2: I'm with you, now, Alec i i i'm with you i i think having a number one wide receiver there like hakeem nicks or or even taking a stab with a julio jones you you set yourself up to be a little bit more balanced in the draft and a little bit more of a dominant starting lineup you have to remember you have to start two stud wide receivers you can still get them here don't get me wrong they're oh, yeah. four and five you're going to have heck of a receivers. so mike you, you've got something to say here what, what do you think about that
3: yeah, I'm just wondering if he's uh, if he was thinking, oh well, wow, I got MJD and uh, he's in lockout uh, syndrome, uh, yep. you know, and maybe I should back this up real quick just in case MJD doesn't uh, go to camp, doesn't even start the season, or maybe even four games into the season. So maybe that's why he made that pick. Well, you still See,
2: have a. Yeah, you still have a top 10 guy there in Steven Jackson that you, you could take without as much injury risk. He probably does, does still have some because uh, you're getting up there in age, not the type of guy I like. But you've just kind of oh. added, you've kind of compounded and made it made your, in, your risk a little worse. But Lou, to win this thing, there's going to be 3,000 teams. Do you feel like you have to be thinking about those 3,000 teams in a contest like this? Or can you just constantly think about winning your league and that's it?
4: You know, Scott, I I've always taken the approach in the high stakes league that I'm gonna win my league and see what happens after that. It's a it's a lottery ticket when you get into that championship run, uh, you get really hot, you got the right group of players. So no, I, I do not look past the, the league championship first things first, get to the playoffs, second thing win the league, and then worry about whether you have an opportunity to win the uh win the big money. And I think you win the big money in the free agent pickups too. I think it's a really critical part of playing in this kind of league. You got to be sharp when you you make those those free agent uh, bids, not spend too much money on them, and I think that makes all the difference in the world of of getting uh getting yourself in position to win the big money. Right now it's just about winning your league.
2: This draft is absolutely fascinating to me to see the different approaches. I I, I mean we have we have microcosms here. We have we have w- two teams side by side, Orman Rose, Henry Muto, one takes three running backs, one takes three wide receivers. Just scoot down the draft board a little bit, and you've got three running backs and a tight end from Adam Grossman, and then one tight end and three wide receivers from John Haskell and Sean Coots. So <laughs> then, then you scroll over to the other side of the board, you've got Jeff O'Dell taking two tight ends and a quarterback as his first three picks. So you just never know. I can't wait to see which, which strategy sort of pans out to, to do better in 2012. I, I find it very hard to take more than one or two tops, tight end quarterback positions in the first seven rounds. To see somebody take three in the first three rounds, just absolutely puts them behind the eight ball. They better hit every single pick they can on the running back and wide receiver spot to fill that starting lineup. Now, Lou is getting ready to come on the clock. He started with Matthews, Sproles, and he followed it up with A.J. Green, who a lot of people are predicting very big things for. You're looking at how the rest of this lineup shakes up. Go ahead. I'm going to give you the floor. You've got a minute and a half to talk.
4: I do, and and uh, and make my pick, right? I've got 109 here till to, to, to I get to make my pick. I'm looking at Marquise Colston. I already own Darren Sproles. A lot of people would shy away from doing such a thing. I am not one of those people. I really like Miles Austin right here as well, but uh, I hate to talk about players that haven't been drafted yet. Uh I'm really I'm stuck on a wide receiver. I'm not going to the tight end position and you guys know I'm not going to the uh to the, the quarterback position right now either. I, I'm telling you that uh, I again like the whole uh if you will guarantee and safety pick. I I am like Alex in that area that I, I like upside, but I, I don't fall in love with upside, otherwise you end up getting beat. So uh, I'm going with Marquise Colston right here.
2: Alex, I know that's a pick that uh, probably won't bother you. That seems like kind of a, a kind of an Alex Kaganovsky pick there, Marquez Colston. There's not really a lot to complain about. I know you have some skeptics who feel that the knee injury, um, the bone on bone, or whatever issue that is. There's a lot of people that are scared to death of taking Marquez Colston, but his production speaks for itself, right?
5: Yeah, absolutely. I'm, look, uh, I personally, I've, I've always, you know, a bit nervous about Marquez Colston. Maybe. He's a guy that I would draft for value, not necessarily target uh I'm not saying that you know this isn't good value for colston uh but um and you know again, I don't have a cheat you know I don't have a sheet in front of me, but um it, it might very well be a value pick uh I do like the uh, as Lou pointed out and and Lou used to be my draft buddy uh for years, and we used to talk about taking uh two of the top um, fantasy players from the same team at various positions, uh, whether it's running back and wide receiver, whether it's tight end and running back, whether it's tight end and wide receiver. So I totally approve of the Darren Sproles and the Marquise Colston um, uh, combo here.
2: Let, let's let's take our eyes to the beginning of the draft where we have uh, Hudson Reeve taking Arian Foster, Cam Newton, Doug Martin. We talked about the Doug Martin pick a little bit when you look at a team that starts with two running backs and a quarterback, you have to think that you're going to wait on the tight end and grab it later and because you have to fill those two wide receiver spots, and they better be pretty respectable. Uh, is there any scenario that you could see, Lou, if you look at that team and say that was my team going in in the fourth round, I've got to do something with it, is there anything that you could see that would make you not want to take one, take a chance on a wide receiver here?
4: No, I think you have to, i mean, I, I think when when – I'll, I want to start by saying this, Scott. I do a ton of draft reviews for BFDFantasyFootball.com, and I love doing them. Uh, I'll be critical sometimes, but it's never like, oh, that's a bad way of doing it. I respect people's willingness to go and do their thing. Like, I'm looking at a draft right now from last night where someone took three tight ends in the first four picks. That I like that kind of thing. But uh, to answer your question, now you find yourself in a position of, Absolute need. You must go get X position, and you're dealing with what's left. So you you, you better like it, or you better hit it right, uh, or or you know what, you've donated your money. So it's a high reward, very high risk uh, kind of kind of method of drafting.
2: I, hey, I, can
5: I, I point something out, Scott? Yeah. Uh, uh, if you take a look at these last few picks, you see Lou starting with Lou, wide receiver, wide receiver, wide receiver, wide receiver. So these guys are obviously paying attention to what's going on here at the end of the draft with the last two uh players needing the wide receiver position and they're making sure that um you know they they're basically playing strategy, draft strategy here and taking the wide receivers off the board. So that's another thing that you kind of put yourself in a position of uh allowing that to uh you know lot, allowing other owners to hurt you in that manner when you're at the end of the draft.
4: At 32, up your
2: own run, at 32 years of age, he lands Steve Smith as his number one wide receiver. And you you have to love the story of Steve Smith. He's 33 now. He was 32 last year, and he broke out again. He was kind of the comeback player of the year, so to speak, with Cam Newton. Uh, and you see that he is a guy that, that finished number eight overall. And what did he go here? Uh eight, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 14, 14. Wide receiver 16. Okay, that's what we call getting out the net, right? That's the value play there. You get Steve Smith. There's not a lot of concerns. I mean, Cam Newton is the and he has the Cam Newton Steve Smith connection there, so it really worked out for him. The only real risk you have there on that team is Doug Martin. And if and if, and if you're expecting a breakout, you go get your guy. And look, the bottom line is Doug Martin is not going to make it to the end of the fourth very likely. So if you have to have him and and he's your your it guy, you you got your guy. You got Foster and Cam Newton. You got your Steve Smith Cam Newton connection. And now you have Brandon Lloyd, um, and, and we're going to talk about that. We've got Lou back on the clock, and I just want to kind of get this strategy thing going again. He's got two running backs, two wide receivers. He can do anything he wants in the draft. That's why I like this pick.
4: Yeah, and that's uh, that's exactly what I'm looking at. I, I can reach for a guy if I want. I, I can actually take somebody uh, a little bit lower uh, on the rankings. And I'll tell you what, I'm going to ask you guys uh, – what do you think of of taking a player like a Dez Bryant right now? Is it is it too early for that? Whoa, uh, Dez Bryant. That um, n- I'm, I'm
3: a little I'm a little shaky on that right now. I mean, I think that uh, I think he'll 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 end up being uh, really good, but I'm I'm a little shaky on that. Uh, what else? Uh, that's just me. Go ahead, Scott.
2: Uh, I, I just I just hear there and obviously once he comes back though you're going to have a steady guy so if you can survive a little while and and maybe miss a three or four game stretch there in the beginning of the season because he gets suspended you got 18 seconds you got to make a pick
4: I'm going to do it right now and I'm actually going to go for another offense that I like a whole lot here and if I can uh, uh, you know what I'm, I'm down to eight seconds here let me uh, let's let me give him a little more
2: time we put him on the spot here <laughs> <laughs> that's all right we, we we ran his clock out for him. Uh, Dez Bryant is one of those guys that if you take him, you uh, you you have a monster probably in the in the second half of the year. The only concern is will he get suspended for slapping his mom? I mean, it's not some yeah. it's not a real popular thing to do in Texas.
4: I'm w- I'm going to see if they'll uh, they'll let me back this sucker up uh, a pick for you know BSing with you guys.
2: Yeah, we will we will let them sort that out. Alex, when you think about Dez Bryant. Uh, you you obviously everybody has thought that Des Bryant has the ultimate upside to be a top 3 top 5 number 1 type wide receiver and he goes off he just has a stupid head on him and he doesn't want to do the work he he puts in he makes silly uh, off the field decisions and and now you're sitting here thinking to yourself man I could have the a, a steal of the draft if he can keep his head on straight Laurent Robinson's gone this is a Tony Romo loves miles austin but des bryant seems to be that guy we were there in vegas and and he pretty much owned revis for the first half in the second half he didn't do so much but we all saw that potential so is des bryant a guy that will end up on any of alex kaganovsky's teams this year
5: very possible um i have no problem with taking a guy with tremendous upside it just depends on uh, where i think could lose position here this is a perfect opportunity i mean he's got Four very solid, safe uh, picks with upside across the board, um, and I think this is the time when he, you know, if you want to call it swinging for the fences, uh, you know, I think you you could call it that with Des Bryant because you have a guy that could be the number one offensive player on his team, and uh, and end up being top ten overall. So so yeah, I go with the, I could go with, I could see going with Des Bryant right here,
4: for sure. And Mike, it, they'll, they'll move it back for me too.
2: Yeah, they they, they should. Mike, you're the um, you're you're the big Dallas Cowboy fan here. How do you see the situation in Dallas shaping up? Did we, did we lose Mike? Let's see what what we have. Mike, Mike shot a seventy four uh, today on the course. Man, he really. Uh, I'm sure he's had a few in him. He probably just lost cell reception. Yep, he's off the switchboard. We'll wait and get Mike back on on uh on track but let's take a look at the rest of this draft while we wait for mike to come back hudson reeve again we talked about the, the team he, he he took steve smith and brandon lloyd in the four or five pick glenn lowey uh, glenn lowey here's your runner-up to the fantasy football players championship last year number two overall finish he also won the red versus blue draft last year so i can't wait to talk to glenn later in the show Ray Rice, Wes Welker, Amon Edshaw, Lance Percy Harvin at 4'11", and then Michael Vick in the fifth round. Michael Vick is that in-between pick. You get your top five quarterbacks off the board, and then Vick kind of falls somewhere in the middle. And then you have the other quarterbacks that fall that all in that cluster there in the seventh, eighth, ninth rounds. Uh, Lou Michael Vick, everybody's saying all the right things about Vick, that he's been in the film room, they can't kick the guy out. Andy Reid said he's always in there. This is going to be a very special year for Mike Vick. The only question we still have is the offensive line and if he's going to stay upright.
5: Did you lose uh, Lou
2: also? Yeah. Hey, you know what? This is uh, It's one of those nights. Alex, I'll, I'll throw it over I, to you. I, I'm back, guys. I'm back. I'm sorry. He, they're working out the uh, they're working out the timer issue there. The when the timer uh, hits, I, I think they need um, somebody to roll that back. Um, Lou, we were talking about Michael Vick and him staying upright is really the only concern.
4: Absolutely, I, I think the guy is a potential monster. I, I really do. I, I love him this year, and and I usually don't like, uh right. You know, a, a, an, a, if you will, an injury likely player like him. But man, all things pointing up, and especially where the Eagles ended the season last year, was really, really impressive. I I think you have to like Michael Vick a lot uh, going into the 2012 season, and always the case with any player. In his case, a little more uh, to it from an injury standpoint, but yeah, I I love Michael Vick. I like where he went. I, I would have actually, believe it or not, and you guys know me well, I might have taken him.
2: I would have, I would have, I thought you might have felt bad about Macklin getting sniped from you right there, because I'll tell you that Macklin going in at five four, this kid just has top ten kind of written all over him, you know, with, with the ability that he has. Obviously, he missed some time last year, uh, but from from all accounts, this guy looks like he's just ready for a monster. If Vicks ready for a big season, then that means you've got to bump all of Deshaun Macklin and Brent Selick up. You've already got McCoy as the number one option at running back. So to see the number one receiving option. Now see, Vic's not a you know, a big five thousand yard guy or anything like that. He's not he's not Drew Brees, he's not Tom Brady or Aaron Rodgers. He he's a great fantasy quarterback. So the questions are about Macklin. Alex, I'll give this one to you. You like Macklin and and I'd just like to for the listeners to hear the reasons why.
5: Yeah, I like Macklin a lot. I liked him I uh, liked him last year. Uh, I liked him the year before. I drafted him both years in, in uh some of my bigger teams. Uh, and not not only did I draft him, I went out and, and make sure that I got him. Uh and I think I'm gonna do the same thing this year, so um I the reason why I do like him is because he uh is the number one offensive target on his team. Uh it is their offensive powerhouse. I mean it may not be the Saints or, or uh or the uh, Packers, but um it's certainly enough production um to go around the top three guys there. In the offense, um, uh, Macklin, if you take a look at his production last year when he, he was healthy and he did get hurt a couple of times, and obviously getting hurt is a little bit of an issue for Macklin, but when he is not hurt, he is uh, basically five receptions a game uh, in the back pocket. Uh, he, is, he is really that good. Uh, keep in mind also he's a, he's a pedigree player. He's a first-round talent. Okay, um, and he's also the great thing about Macklin as a wide receiver, he is a possession receiver. He's also a deep threat as well, so um, so I really I like Macklin all around, except for the injury risk, of course. 347-324-5404
2: four, four, four is the number. It's the Red versus Blue Show on Fantasy Players Association Radio. It's the Football Guys Players Championship Draft. Uh, Every year we do one of these. It's the only publicly drafted Football Guys Players Championship draft here, hosted by the FFPC and FootballGuys.com. $350 entry for a shot at $150,000. It's a 12-team league. You have to win your 12-team league or be one of those wild cards to to get into the dance, so to speak, uh, to get a crack at that uh, $150,000. While we've got this short break, Alex. What a perfect marriage this is between the high-stakes veterans of the FFPC and the mid-stakes sort of creation uh, that Football Guys has has been able to uh, partner with you guys and make happen with the the tremendous popularity of the Football Guy membership.
5: Yeah, I mean, it's been unbelievable. And, you know, I'll tell you the truth, a lot of it has taken all of us, um, you know, a little bit by surprise. Um, I think something has to something has to be said about maybe the timing of it all. Um uh, I, I think maybe the timing of um introducing the mid stakes and, and the high stakes um industry to a lot of the fantasy players is right. Uh and maybe that's exactly what's happening the last couple of years. So when a lot of these uh you know, these very dedicated I mean the football guys' community is made up of very dedicated people. I mean, they, they, think about it—they're getting these emails from football guys on a daily basis, okay? And they're all opted in, opted into that gigantic email list of of, of that company. And every single day, they're pounded with this fantasy football information, and they're all can they are all waiting to digest it. So these are diehards, and and here we are—we introduced them to this mid-stakes format and and they started you know they they took slow they took it slow took it easy but last year we we had the lockout and we still got to 3000 teams and this year it's just you know absolutely exploding here we are in uh on August uh 3rd and I, we we have about 1400 teams signed up already so i don't know where this thing is going to go but um it certainly is the right time and it's the right marriage between us and football guys so and, and, you know, it's really not about us. It's about you guys and the players. I mean, you're like, liking it. You're loving the format. You're playing it. So, you know, it, it's working out, I guess.
2: Well, that it is. Tremendously popular. Let's see. Did we get Mike back? I know we uh, we dropped him. No, he still has not returned. So it must have been uh, some kind of a sell issue. Uh, but I'm looking at the draft board, and, again, it's just one of these amazing things to see the different strategies here. Johnny is up on the clock. Pale Riders, Aaron Rodgers, Fitzgerald. Julio Jones and Greg Jennings. Lou, that's a monster wide receiver lineup to pair with Aaron Rodgers. Can he nail the running backs and the tight end? That's what we've got to see for the rest of the draft.
4: Yeah, he nails the running backs, and and he's a problem. That's for sure. That's one that you're looking at. And then uh, I can tell you that. I, I looked at a draft, uh, again, another one from just a night or two ago. I, I'm not at all a, a big guy on drafting a, a, a quarterback early, and especially in the first round. However, I'll give you this lineup. Uh, Aaron Rodgers, DeMarco Murray, Ahmad Bradshaw, A.J. Green, Stevie Johnson, Pettigrew, and then Reggie Wayne, uh, uh, James Starks, a really good lineup. And that was a team drafting from the seven hole uh, in the same format draft. So, you know, a a team like that pulls the running backs out of the hat, and and you got yourself a a hell of a team that you're, you're dealing with there.
2: Well, the uh, the the draft is going strong again. We just saw Johnny add a fourth wide receiver and Steve Johnson. Lou, this is a perfect team that I want to talk about. I'm a big Jets fan, obviously. I, I think I think you have an affinity for the Jets as well. Maybe I don't know if that's still the case. I, I I'm not sure. I know Alex is a big Giants fan, but the Buffalo Bills are the story of New York right now. They just kind of seem to be that upstart team that that. Maybe they've already leaped past the Jets in in uh the, the the odds of Vegas as the number two team in the AFC East. And and this offense is really just set to explode. They have Steve Johnson, they have the uh the backfield tandem of Fred Jackson and Spiller, and they've got good chemistry. Fitzpatrick is just kind of a smart quarterback. He doesn't uh it seems like he has pretty much the total package, not elite skills, but it seems like he gets the job done and they've got a tremendous defense. So your take on the uh, Buffalo Bills? Do they do they have a number two?
4: Do they have a number two wide receiver? Well, right now it's uh, it's it's Derek Hagan, and that guy's pretty good. Uh, he played for the Giants for a little while. Uh, he's not not a bad player. I I, I actually like uh, Donald Nelson, the the slot receiver, was pretty good last year at times. I like him a little more uh, from a fantasy standpoint. But I, can I give you my prediction on the Bills? They challenge to win the AFC East. I, I I think they could actually do it, and I, I like Ryan Matthews even as a quarterback this year. So a lot of pieces in place there in Buffalo, and, and I'm I'm pretty pretty high on that team myself.
2: Buffalo is a sneaky team this year to count on. It's, it's definitely a definitely a, a a defense that I'm looking at targeting maybe late in the in the. Uh, in the, draft. the draft. All right, a few technical difficulties here. We do, we do have, have the draft still rolling live. Let's, Let's take, take a, look a look at Adam, Adam Grossman's team. team. He, he started, started three running backs. backs. Darren McFadden with injury question, question marks. Marco mark Murray, Murray with injury question, mark. injury injury question marks. Stephen Jackson with injury question marks. Injury
0: question marks. Question All big, big upside, upside guys. A lot of questions. Vernon uh, uh, Davis, Davis and Decker. Decker.
2: You've got got guys guys there that are predicting big things for Eric Decker with the Peyton Manning coming down, Peyton Manning still Alex, What are your thoughts on seeing a a team team start off with three running backs and able to get two two options like a Vernon Davis Davis and Eric Decker Decker in round four or five?
5: Um, I think you're asking about Eric Decker, but I'm getting this really nasty echo. And um, (laughs) I'm sorry, Scott. I don't know. Maybe I should call back and get back on. But – uh if you're asking about Eric Decker and Adam Grossman's team there, uh my response is um I I like what the guys doing. Um I you know the key obviously now is to get it right. Uh you know the problem with with waiting that long to to find a wide receiver, even if it's a guy like Eric Decker who obviously has some upside is you know it's really hard at this point with so many wide receivers off the board to uh, to get someone who's even going to perform like a steady number two, so if he's able to do that with Decker and with whoever his next picks are, I think he's going to do really really well here. Uh, as far as Decker himself, uh, I'm I'm a total believer in the offense over there. I I do agree with Lou and I agree with some of the other. I think um, uh, the analysis that. Uh, that Peyton is, is coming in there and bringing his uh old uh Indianapolis Colts offense there. And and I think uh that's going to make Decker and Demarius Thomas uh uh a, a good week to week um players there. The question is are they going to are they going to split production down the middle? Is one of them going to going to be the uh, Marvin Harrison uh and is the other one going to be the Reggie Wayne, well, the younger Reggie Wayne, let's say. Or is it gonna be more down the middle? So that's that's really the big question.
2: Alex, has the uh, echo has that fixed are we are we yeah, good it's now? Better.
5: Yeah, I'm I'm much better now. Yeah, I can hear you perfectly.
2: Okay. I, I think we, we, we are having some technical d- difficulties. This uh Skype isn't always the best communicator over blog talk, but we're using it and uh it, it seems to, to have settled down a little bit. We do have a phone as a standby if we need to, so the chat room looks like it's uh, it's rolling. We have a lot of good guests in the chat room. Our very own Chris Lambert from FFPC is here. Ali Fontana, Billy Waz, Brothers Mayhem, who is in the draft. Let's take a look at his draft. Jason Duvall's draft, a newcomer to the F, uh, FFPC this year. He drew the 12-hole in the Red versus Blue draft. Tom Brady as a start with Trent Richardson, Fred Jackson, Antonio Gates, Vincent Jackson, and Michael Turner. That's got to be the oldest team I've seen in the draft, uh, but he does have the young rookie in Trent Richardson. Lou, you look at that team and you say to yourself, uh, okay, I've got Brady covered. I've got Gates covered as long as he's healthy. And then I've got three running backs, the, the caliber of which Mike Turner in the, in round six, Vincent Jackson on a new team. What do you think?
4: Well, I'm not, I'm not quite as high on Vincent Jackson, but he will see a ton of targets. So I like him. I think brothers mayhem has done a, a very nice job so far. I, I like that roster. And again, early quarterback, but doing a good job at the turns of picking up some things that, that they need. I, I'm looking at the roster myself right now. And, you know, Richardson Jackson, there's risk in, in Jackson and Turner. He's one, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm laying off this year uh, myself, but uh, I do like the rest of it a lot. And, and you know what? Uh, you got Turner in the sixth round. So it's, it, hard to give the guy a hard time about that.
2: There is a lot of talk about Jaquiz Rogers possibly getting a little more work this year. What does the coaching tree say? Uh give us a little sneak peek into the coaching tree about a Quiz Rogers in that offense. They haven't used that type of player in a while. We had a Jarius Norwood a few years ago that really didn't materialize into much. It's been the Michael Turner show for several years, just heavy pounding of the of of, you know, down their throats kind of straightforward ball and he doesn't catch the ball, not a lot of receptions. So what does the coaching tree say about a, a player like Quiz Rogers with, with the upside of, of being a high-catch, uh, high high-catch, high-touch guy?
4: Scott, it says he'll suck, okay? <laughs> he's bad. He's too small. Uh, he's awful, all right? Don't draft your Quiz Rogers. That's what I'm telling you right now.
2: <laughs> he is pretty small. Five-six five, on hoping, his
4: tippy-toes. You know what? Yes, and, and, and a stool and everything else. Yeah, a very bad player. I Really, don't think we should even talk about him anymore.
2: <laughs> well, we're, we're going to see Lou uh, Papa Jack Quiz Rogers in the tenth round here, so we're going to we're going we're gonna to move off of Quiz Rogers and move this conversation to Alex. Alex, we uh, we're going to move to the right of the draft, and we're looking at Silver Bullets Todd Package and Travis Kelly. We already discussed the Matt Forte pick. Victor Cruz was the sensation of uh, the wide receiver corps last year, and he treats him as such, taking him as the number two wide receiver. In the draft, now, that's the biggest move I think I see. Out of all the picks going through the first 14, I don't think any move is bigger saying, I want this guy than Victor Cruz as the number two wide receiver off the board.
5: Well, listen, you can't argue, uh, you know, Victor Cruz came on the scene two years ago, right? And, uh, you know, he basically shocked the world. And then last year uh he followed it up with with another monster season so you can't um uh, i don't think you could blame anyone for expecting that to continue uh yes he was undrafted rookie uh yes he you know uh basically a walk on uh but um uh, you know uh so uh, so were uh many other uh great players uh great fantasy players so I have no problem with this pick, and, and I'll tell you, I, I, I looked at Cruz, I, I think it was last year or the year before, I was looking at him, very similar mold uh, like a Miles Austin, where, uh, you know, very strong lower body, uh, spinning out of tackles, and, uh, you know, then taking it to the house. So I think he's, you know, in the beginning I thought maybe that there's a little bit of luck involved there, similar to Miles Austin when he was, when he had those huge games early in his career. But then I realized that that's what that, those guys do, you know. So a guy like Victor Cruz and Miles Austin, very similar in that way, very hard to tackle, and they break a lot of those kind of tackles, and that's why they're so great with uh, with the fantasy production.
2: Billy Wads is in the chat room, and he asks a great question. We just saw what uh, Pale Riders has pulled off with six non-running backs in his first six picks. So Alex and Lou both, have we ever seen something like this work? Not to say that it won't work, my question would be, have we ever seen a draft like that work
4: well i'll tell you i uh, I know a couple of guys that uh number crunchers, great fantasy football players, a couple of guys from california daryl mike right uh a couple of years back, they went i want to say eight rounds without taking running backs, and they challenged the entire season for their league championship. It was a uh pardon the term ballsy move, but they they did it and i i Again, have no problem with someone saying this is my draft plan. This is how I'm attacking it. That's going to be different, and I'm going after it. And I like it. You just got to be right. Three. By the way, seven. I took Jermaine. I took uh, I took uh, uh, Jermaine Gresham.
2: Oh, there you go. So that's your anchor. You have uh, you had a couple of options there. Let's talk about that real quick because this was a. A very popular rapid fire here on Red vs. Blue. We we said, look, if you miss out on the on the top eight, nine guys, and you're looking for a top ten guy, somebody that can emerge, you've got Gresham, you have uh, Tammy. Actually, Tammy went before that. Uh, you have Greg Olson. Um, who else did we have on that thing? Um, Owen Daniels. And we had one other one. Uh, Brent Selleck. These were all guys that we were like, what, what kind of guy would you take there? And, and Gresham was a popular pick. I think Selleck ended up number one on that rapid fire. But you see something in, in the Cincinnati offense because you took a guy that we haven't even talked about yet, Lou, and A.J. Green. So Green and Gresham kind of hedging your bets with uh, two wide receiver options for Cincinnati.
4: Sure. Well, i I tell you what. Uh, as long as um, my my guy Andy Dalton throws, say, 24 touchdowns, I'm feeling pretty good about getting maybe – Eighteen of those between those two players, so that that wouldn't that wouldn't annoy me at all. Getting you know, basically I got to put both guys in the lineup and just forget about them every week. If if you're going to draft it this way, where you know I now have multiple players from the same offense, you really just have to set them in the lineup and basically forget about them. Uh, and by the way, I'm not as high on Brent Seleck. I, I think he he is one of those guys that just has trouble staying on the football field. So I, I I'm much lower on him than than others are
2: at this yeah. Time. Yeah, I, I've heard nothing but good things coming from the Brent Selleck camp. That's interesting because if you look at his first half and second half, it's night and day. And and you look at that guy, he would have been a, I think he had the, he was the number two tight end in all of football over the second half of the season. And that's saying something, or, or number three, I'm sorry, behind Gronk and Graham. So to think that uh, he's going that late, uh, it seemed like Vic, it just took Vic a while to kind of figure out who Selleck was and how to fit him in the offense. I mean, it was terrible. In the first half of the year, you might as well just cut him. But once you cut him, uh, it it was about week eight that he started going off, and it it just continued through the rest of the season. So injuries maybe are are a part of that. Obviously, Uh, I always liked him at Cincinnati. I was a big uh, conference or or Big East conference USA guy back in the day with Louisville and Cincinnati. But and he was the man. He was he was the man on the team, and and it took him uh, you know a little bit of time to kind of find his groove. I think LJ Smith was there, and all these guys, but. Uh, Brent Selleck has been one of the more interesting uh, tight end stories to watch this offseason, uh, just because Michael Vick needs that that safety blanket. You know, you don't want to see Vick come out of that pocket too much because he's a $100 million guy now, right? And, he, and you just don't want to see that guy, um, you know, get hurt, have a bad knee, you know, take a bad fall. It's hard enough to survive a season, much less if you're going to play, you know, full-out balls to the wall like Michael Vick. So I, I kind of like the Celtic pick, but I, 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 I'm i right there with Gresham, too. And I love Tammy. I mean, there's there's three there's, – there's great tight ends going in the sixth-round. Pettigrew at one-and-a-half points per reception in this type of format, he's gold. I mean, he could very easily score more than a lot of the wide receivers ahead of him and probably will – because he's in the Detroit offense and he's a high reception kind of guy. And, and and Stafford goes for him in the end zone. If Pettigrew would have been there, would you have taken him, Lou?
4: No. No. I, I think uh Pettigrew is is uh right up there with uh with Michael Crabtree in my in my fantasy football analysis from the standpoint of they both had really attractive seasons after the fact. Like you go look at it and you're like, whoa, you know, uh Crabtree had seventy two receptions, Pettigrew I think It was eighty three receptions yeah I, I i don't know anyone that won with Brandon Pettigrew on their roster because uh it was the quietest eighty three reception season in possibly uh the last decade and, and and I've said the same thing about Prabtree at the wide receiver position It, it was just such a quiet seventy two catch season that uh i think I think Pettigrew is there, and I, I think it, you nailed it, Scott. he is like an outlet, you know when Stafford gets in a little bit of trouble, find Brandon, get him the ball. The other problem I have with him is that uh, he did split a lot of time with Tony Scheffler and that's uh that's brutal when you're, you know, when you're getting down there to for the payoff and Tony Scheffler comes in and takes the touchdown, uh, it sucks. All right. Uh, it's CJ Spiller right here or do I go into my wide receiver pool again?
2: Well, I, I feel like I would be compromising the draft if I let Alex answer that question since he is kind of the owner. So I have to tell you that I'm absolutely fascinated by C.J. Spiller. I had Pettigrew too, and he helped me win my league last year. But I also had C.J. Spiller. Uh, who was your other option?
4: Uh, well, I'm looking at C.J. Spiller. I, I have uh, some others that I, I'm taking a look at, and I, I'm also considering uh, uh, Pierre here, Pierre Garcon. Oh, well,
2: you know, hey, you've already got you uh, three. You've already got one flex at wide receiver. It might make sense to go ahead and have you one flex slash bye week guy with C.J. Spiller. I think Spiller's still going to be a startable guy even in the bye weeks. Even if he's not anointed the starter, uh, you, you have to love his big game potential and big playability. We still don't know exactly what Pierre Garcon is. He he looked pretty decent with horrible quarterbacking last year. He does have the dropsies. We know that about him, uh, but we still don't know what Robert Griffin's going to do in that offense. Is he going to fall in love with the running backs? Is he going to fall in love with the tight ends? Does he have anybody like he had at at uh at Baylor, you know, like Kendall Wright or 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 Gordon? Does he have those types of wide receivers there? I'm not sure that Garcon's that guy. I do like Garcon. Um but as a number four wide receiver, I, I think there's better things you that you could do that, than picking up a fourth wide receiver. And I think the third running back makes more sense.
4: CJ Spiller it is. Wow. wow. I
5: agree with um I agree with uh, not taking a fourth wide receiver in the seventh, seventh round in terms of team construction. Uh, C.J. Spiller, I will say this. Um, I re, I was listening to uh, Sirius Center for Radio just the other day, and, Lou, you may have caught it too. I think they were uh, in the Bills camp that day, and uh, I think uh, they may have had uh, Fitzpatrick on... Uh, and some one of the players that were just you know inter- being interviewed by the host of the show and they all raved about Fred Jackson. <laughs> <And they said laughs> that Fred Jackson. They said that Fred Jackson was just lighting up, looked like a young man had all his legs under him and you know no signs of injury or anything like that. So obviously, you know that doesn't change anything. For you, because the Spiller is still your guy, and this is just, you know, somebody's opinion. But, um, you know, I just thought I just thought that was interesting to mention.
2: Man, there is mm-hmm. there is great conversation going on in the chat room here at the crew at Red versus Blue. We affectionately call them some of the best minds in the world of high stakes fantasy football and otherwise. We started talking about Brent Selleck and Ali Fontana, and Mike Santos reminded me that hey, Brent Selleck was in to block the first half of the season because their offensive line was absolute shambles. And then uh, then they allowed him to open up a, a little bit in the first half. They also bring up the fact, Ali brings up uh, a very good point about Pettigrew, saying the Lions used Pettigrew for short yardage last year, essentially when the run game went down the crapper. And then the, uh, the chat room uh, comes back, Mike Santos, uh, which will probably be, again, they'll have zero healthy running backs by week five. Yep. That's the story of uh, Pettigrew and Selleck. Uh, it is interesting, you know, in the middle of the draft, you can really kind of do anything you want, Lou, because you don't have to worry about getting caught on the runs as much. At, at, the, at the ends of the rounds, what kind of advice do you have for people to, if you have a guy that you really like, how much do you have to pay attention to the rest of the draft and what they're going to do by the time it gets back to you? In BBD, basically. Oh, uh-
4: uh, yep, sure. The uh, the the ends of the draft, Team 1, Team 2, Team 11, 12, I, I don't pay any attention to the rest of the draft, honestly. I mean, just, just the team that's right next to me, whether they have a quarterback or a tight end or something. Uh, part of the reason that I, I took Gresham before is because I, I knew that there were two teams, uh, you know, Team 1 and Team 2 did not have tight ends, and in this format, most owners do want to have a pretty decent tight end. So I took uh, Gresham right about where his adp is i would have loved to have gotten him a little bit later it just you know didn't work out from the standpoint of they needed a tight end i figured they would go after one so i took them in the middle in the middle of the draft i pay a little bit more attention but at the at the two ends i don't pay much attention at all I, I just really i just focus on who i need or want
2: alex is that is that the same philosophy for you at the end of the draft a lot of people you know there's you know four people out of every 12 are going to end up with this question do do you even do you, do you try to predict what's going to be there twenty four picks later and just go ahead and grab that running back because you're like man if I don't there's not going to be anything left even though you have a player that you'd rather have.
5: Well, listen, it's um, I guess that's the age old question. Um, I think here's the key. I think if you're drafting at the corners, you have to really and you know I know that this has been the theme. But and it's almost becoming a cliche, but you have to throw the ADP out the window. You really do, and you have to grab the guy that you like. And it doesn't matter if you if you're grabbing him literally two rounds before his ADP because he might not get to you to that next corner. And if you really like him, then you really have to take him. So, uh, you know, where you know guys in the middle round. They don't have to necessarily do you know take a guy two rounds earlier they could take a guy one round earlier, probably, but um you know the guys at the end has to have to uh take the uh take the bigger risk um and also what I do like though what Lou was mentioning in terms of uh paying attention to at the end of the draft, my favorite position used to be the drafting from the three or from the ten uh because I really like to be two away from the corner and um and to take advantage of uh you know maybe stealing a player or or, or kind of taking a player from from knowing what the other teams need i think when you're under three in a ten spot, you could really take advantage of that. I think anything beyond that and and it's a little bit harder to do.
2: This is the Red vs. Blue show on Fantasy Players Association Radio (FPA Radio). You're listening to Scott Atkins, Team Legacy in the world of high-stakes fantasy football, and Michael Trent from Brandenburg, Kentucky. Mike, the big blue co-host, you had a little phone problem there. I know you shot a 74 in golf today. Congratulations! You're back on the draft now. What do you what do you think of this uh, What do you think of this draft so far?
3: Well, I'll tell you what. Uh, right now, Scott, and uh, thanks for having me back on. Uh, what I'm seeing is, uh, you know, it's just a it's it's a situation of uh, owners and when they want to uh, when they want to take their tight ends, <clears throat> excuse me, and when they want to take their uh, quarterbacks. Uh, that's what it boils down to. Uh, it, it's just it's kind of fun to watch it uh, because the tight ends will come, and then next thing you know, you've got uh, round four or five where there's hardly nothing, and then you get a little tight end run and. Maybe nothing. Uh quarterbacks is gonna be kind of the same way. And I think that maybe the way uh that everybody can approach uh you know, their uh the main event drafts. Uh do you want to take that chance? When do you take that chance and when do you do it? So uh but uh since I've been gone, uh you know, I've been looking at uh lose team in uh in particular, uh you know, he, he went ahead and uh grabbed the tight end and uh but still without a quarterback and uh so what's what's going to be his next step? And uh it's just kind of kind of interesting on how they approach it.
2: Yeah, you know what Mike you you said it you said it really well. That is what's on everybody's mind, right? Everybody's mind is when do I take my quarterback? When do I take my tight end? That's a very interesting that's what FFPC did to the draft when when it was created by Alex and Dave and Lou, the the addition of the tight end became relevant. And instead of saying, okay, when do I take my running backs and wide receivers and where do I throw my, my quarterback at? It became, what do you want to do in the first round? What do you want to do in the second round? And it continued right. the entire draft. So uh, it's a testament to the guy's understanding of football, to understanding what a fun league is all about. And, it, and about parity, you can have a bad uh, pick or a bad team construction and sort of recover from it a lot better. Alex, that's kind of my take. You, you Back in the day, team construction was vital. And, and let's just go back to the days of the the the, the Lenny Papano and Emil Cadillac, their World Championship of Fantasy Football, the pure contest when it started, and the three wide receiver rule. That meant that wide receivers were very important in the draft. And if you didn't understand that by year two, you're toast because everybody did. After year one, we kind of took our lumps, figured it out. Year two, we knew you had to address the wide receiver. You've kind of you've kind of made that about the tight end now. If you just try to go to war with, you know, uh, Owen Daniels or what have you, you're toast.
5: Yep, yeah, I'm glad you bring this up, Scott. It'll, it'll actually, um, we, uh, this is probably mostly for the, for uh, some of the listeners that are new to this format. Um I, I think we'll, if you look at this board, you know, you look at this board and, and you compare it to this draft board uh, or any uh, FPC or FFPC draft board, uh, and you compare it to any of your other leagues, especially the ones that have, let's say, the two running backs, three wide receivers, one flex, or maybe two running backs, two wide receivers, or one flex, uh, something uh, a lot less flexible than you know what we have here. You, you, this board is just so fantastically different. Uh, the team construction is different. The approach of everyone is different, and that is this is the result of what happened in 2008 when we created the FFPC format. Now, I'm you know I got to tell you I think we got a little bit lucky uh, with uh, you know, the eventual results, and I think Lou will probably agree with me. But I mean, we did have you know we did have the right I I think you know uh, idea in mind. We wanted to give as much flexibility to the owner as possible, and that's why we actually added the one and a half to the tight end because we wanted to make it so relevant. We wanted to be as high up there as the the the, uh, running back and the wide receiver. And every once in a while, I still look around and you know I see people comment about the FFPC format, maybe that don't play it, and be like ah. yeah, you know, the the one and a half tight end—it's silly, or it's it's a gimmicky, it's whatever. And maybe it is, but you know what? It creates the result is yeah. this incredible draft board and this incredible, uh, you know, strategies that are formed by 12 different owners uh, with every single draft. And I, I think so. The results speak for themselves. You know, maybe it was a little gimmick, maybe it was a little luck, but uh, you know, like I said, the results are incredible here. Well. Alex, one
3: thing about it is the uh, the evolution of the tight end and the evolution of the of the game itself, as far as rewarding uh, one and a half uh, uh, PPR uh, to a tight end. I mean, look what it's done to this draft immediately. I mean, you've got two tight ends that's been uh, drafted in the first round, so that that just tells me that owners are taking that much. Uh, You know they're taking that much pride in their tight end, and when they get them, and then you look at the third round, the fourth round, and they just continue to go off the board. So that makes it even more strategic.
5: Yeah, but at the same time, if you look at the entire board, it's not like you know this draft is not dominated by the tight end. Yes, obviously Gronk and Graham went in the first round, but hey, Gronk and Graham, you could make a case for them going in the in the first round in a one PPR draft. So and then. You really don't have two other tight ends go in the third round, and then only the fourth round is when you see the fifth tight end go. So, you know, even though you, you know, it's a supposed, supposedly a tight end heavy draft, it really isn't. So, it uh, and, be. and no, it could be, it doesn't have to be exactly.
3: Right, right. It stays his own. I mean, everybody, each owner is kind of taking their own. Uh, their own angle, their own strategy, and saying, this is what I want. And then you have some owners that are saying, well, no, I have no interest in a tight end right now. Uh, and, matter of fact, I'm going to wait for a tight end until round seven. <laughs> so it just depends on where you're drafting from and your uh, the angle you want to take.
2: Well, and we see another case of disrespect once again in Eli Manning uh, being taken as the 11th quarterback. I can't the-
4: even believe it.
2: Finished number six overall, and Lou uh, snags him up. Uh, here's a guy that, that has no problem throwing uh, all day long, four, 5,000 yards, 29, 30 touchdowns. And what did they do? They pretty much just reloaded at wide receiver again, grabbed him yet another stud wide receiver in the draft, and said, you know, we're going to continue to utilize this Hall of Fame quarterback that we have on our team.
4: I'm stunned. That he, I'm stunned he lasted. I, I did not think he would make it there. They took uh, Matt Ryan and Peyton Manning ahead of him. I thought that was interesting, uh, and I'll tell you what. I, I know who took Peyton Manning. Those are two damn fine fantasy football players, so I'm not going to argue against them. Uh, I'm a little surprised Matt Ryan went ahead of him. I uh, was looking at that team, and I thought it would have been interesting if they had selected Peyton Manning because they own Victor Cruz, and they have so much invested in him. Uh, why not go for the hookup of uh, of Eli and Victor Cruz if you like it that much?
2: Well, they are definitely trying to go vertical in Atlanta. We know that Matt Ryan has a little bit of a ways to go to be Eli Manning, uh, if if that can even be in the same discussion. I'm I'm a little more concerned with the Philip Rivers pick. Orman, uh, you know, great drafter, one of the one of the former champs here of Red versus Blue. Uh, Lou, again, when you look at the schedule for Phillip Rivers, it looks pretty brutal in those playoff weeks. Cincinnati, Baltimore, Pittsburgh, Carolina, and the Jets to finish off the year. You also had Denver in week 11. What do you think? Does that impact your decision? I know you talked about winning your league, but that that's not something I really want when I'm going up against Breeze and Rodgers and Brady trying to win this thing.
4: Yeah, I hear you. And and that's actually well, I mean going up against Breeze, Rogers, or Brady, Brady could actually be a good thing for Philip Rivers, uh, you know, from the standpoint of of, of points, potential points. Uh I like Philip Rivers a whole lot and and the quarterback position Scott anymore, I really I really think if you get someone who's a very good player at that position, then you're going to get the production. Even in those tough tough games, they they'll be relied on. Uh it's a throwing league and Rivers is a really good quarterback. So uh, I really don't have any problem with him. I actually have him ranked right behind Eli Manning. So um, I, I'm a, I'm a Philip Rivers guy, and even with the tough schedule, uh, he's, a, he's a hell of a player. I, I wouldn't shy away from him at all in fantasy drafts because of the schedule. I, I would, uh, just to finish that thought, I would shy away from a guy like Jay Cutler because of the fantasy schedule because I think he's going to be, if you will, hamstrung by his one weapon that he's got in Brandon Marshall – Uh, I know a lot of people like the rookie wide receiver. I'm personally not not buying it there uh, at this point in that offense. So a guy like Jay Cutler, that would impact, but a guy like Philip Rivers, that doesn't impact me.
2: Alex, there there is 11 quarterbacks off the board here, so let's talk about this. This happens to all of us, and and this is a year that's defined by the quarterback position in the NFL draft with Andrew Luck and Robert Griffin III. Last year, Cam Newton broke out on the scene and showed everybody that a rookie can – uh, be an elite quarterback in the NFL, and so I think a lot of people do feel that you know what I'm going to catch lightning in the bottle. Andrew Luck's going to be behind all game, or Robert Griffin's the next Cam Newton. If if you've seen that 11 quarterbacks are off the board, you're the last guy. Can you wait longer now and stretch that out with that risk of somebody backing him up, or or how long do you decide? You know what I can I can even let this wait longer because people aren't going to back up their quarterback in round 10 and 11.
5: Uh. First of all, I've got to say that based on – I haven't seen that many drafts. Uh, This is probably maybe the third or the fourth draft that I've seen this year. And it seems to me that the quarterbacks this year are going even earlier. And not just the top guys. You know, obviously Rodgers and Brady and Newton and Breeze are going in the first two rounds, you know, which is pretty rare. I don't think – I don't remember the last time I saw that at all, four guys going in the top two rounds. But even, you know, the second-tier guys, or, you know, if you want to call it the third-tier guys uh, with Eli and, and, you know, the Mannings and the Romo's Rivers, they're also going early. I, I remember uh, the 11th quarterback, 12th quarterback, uh, maybe go around or two later, and, you know, maybe you guys could correct me. But um, I think what happens is if you look at your tier, uh, depending on how you have your sheets, uh, if your quarterback's having tiers, as I know a lot of guys tend to have them, uh you know if if you're at the bottom of that tier, then you just say to yourself, You know what I missed it, and i 'm just going to keep waiting it out. i 'm going to keep snagging those uh other position players, and then i'll just keep waiting for like you said either a luck or whoever else that you have target i mean there's plenty of probably guys out there that are still i mean only eleven quarterbacks off the of board i don 't think you need to be um getting too nervous and uh but you know um if you if you miss on a couple of more, then maybe you do wait for round 13 to take your first one, and you could still get a decent one.
2: Yeah, I, I think well, uh, people, people forget that Mark Sanchez was a number 10 quarterback in the league. Ryan Fitzpatrick, 11, Roethlisberger, Freeman, Flacco, Dalton, all these guys, they're going to put up 250 to 300 points. Uh, so if you didn't get the top five, what's the big deal? I mean, Eli, Ryan, Romo, Rivers—all these guys—they're going to be in that 300 to 350 range. You can pretty much, you can pretty much feel that these guys, these Flackos, and all these guys are going to at least—they're going to get up there to that 280, 300 mark somewhere in that ballpark. It, it, it seems like if you miss out on that run, you might as well wait because you, you didn't get one of those top guys. You might as well start gobbling up guys. You've got to survive bye weeks. You have to survive injuries, and and the season isn't long. If you don't have that bye week or injury guy ready to go. You're not going to get it through waivers with this type of a draft. Uh, there's just it's just a very competitive thing. Now I'm not to say I'm not diminishing waivers. Uh, I mean it's not like we're playing 25 man rosters. We're playing 20. There is going to be a, there's going to be a selection of waivers to pick up. But you've got to bid right. You've got to get the bidding right. That's something we haven't talked about blind bidding. You get $1,000 of fake money to kind of play around with throughout the year. And you have to make that happen. Last year, I paid eight hundred and fifty. Nobody bid on Cam Newton in our league, in our FFPC Main Event League. For, they didn't bid on Cam Newton after week one when he just dominated Arizona. Nobody bid on him. That's incredible. <laughs> and so week two comes along, and he does the same thing to, I think, Green Bay. And now you have to pay a fortune. And my wife sat with me at the draft table, and she told me to draft Cam. I could have saved 900 uh with my last pick, but I didn't do it. And I? Yeah.
5: Can I tell you a story? Speaking of that, I think two years ago, when was uh, the Brandon Lloyd uh, The break? Was that 2010 when uh, Brandon Lloyd uh, broke out in Denver? Yes,
4: it was. In Denver. Yeah, that's right. Yeah.
5: Well, that was the last year of, of the contest that should re- remain nameless uh, mm-hmm. that I played in. Uh, we right. all played in. and In my league, I believe Brandon Lloyd was on a waiver wire in week five, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. And you know, I think the first couple of weeks he, you know, he wasn't that great, and then I think week three and four, he started just to, you know to score touchdowns, and then the fifth week, and they let him go for five weeks. And when I say they, I'm the bonehead too who let him go for five weeks. Okay, so uh, it, you know, sometimes it just works out. It's weird. It's like a collective thing. You know, like everyone just says, ah, you know, I don't really need to bid. I right. you know, I don't. You know, it's just a fluke. You know, so I think that's what happens. Uh, With Cam Noon, I wouldn't be surprised if in some, maybe not the main event leagues, I wouldn't be surprised if some, you know, individual local leagues, Cam Noon was lasting until the third week of the regular season last year.
2: (laughs) Yeah, I'm looking at those game logs. Six for 169 and one against Indy week three, 11 for 115 against Tennessee, and five for 135 against Baltimore, two touchdowns. So just to think that that it happened. You know, people just get it up there, oh, that's not gonna continue. That's not gonna happen. I do find it interesting that I had just texted in the chat room, uh, Clayton was Lou too hard on the Quizinator. And here we go with Lou. Uh <laughs> suspicions are true. Takes Jacquez Rogers in the ninth round. Lou, was that that must have been a big smoke screen. Uh
4: of course it was a big smoke screen. And and I would have not I would not have taken him. I would have uh, actually taken the uh, the wide receiver before him, or wide receiver that went right before him, which was Randy Moss. So I would have selected him in the ninth round. It didn't work out because uh, Jeff Odell uh, snaked him from me, Anacott Steele there. So I, I just went to plan B, which was Quiz Rogers. And uh, I told you, he's too short. He sucks. Uh, don't draft him.
2: <laughs> had I known you had right. an affection you for a what? player like that, I would have probably leaned you in the wide receiver uh, position. <laughs> uh, Mike, go ahead.
3: Yeah, guys, I've been uh, I've been looking at uh, Jeff and Lou going back and forth. Uh, you know, I was kind of giving Jeff down the road about taking Jimmy Graham uh, tight end so early in the first round. But when I look at Jeff's team, it looks pretty solid because he was able to wait and wait on running backs. And uh, he was able to gobble up uh, Gore, Jonathan Stewart, and uh, James Starks, which will be solid. And now he's looking at uh, uh, Jordy Nelson, Jeremy Maclin, and Randy Moss. So, yeah. I mean, that—that that, let me tell you something. That team looks pretty solid.
2: Well, I'm looking at a lot of teams, and we need to, we need to start getting some of these uh, breakdowns here. We've done a lot of talk about the the league itself with Alex, the team construction with Lou, and player analysis. There's a lot of good teams that are shaping up here. It's interesting to see the different strategies. We talked about John Riders waiting until the eighth round to get a running back. D'Angelo Williams and Pierre Thomas. Not real sure that those are the two guys that are going to get it done, but maybe you can come up with a couple of other guys a little bit later to help that situation. We look at uh, the the team, Orman Rose, a defending champion here. We talked about him going three wide receivers off the the bat. How are his running backs going to look? Well, he fills it up with Isaac Redman, Evan Smith, who may very well be the starter in Detroit with all the news on on best still not being ready, and Willis McGahee. So there's three starters in the league right now for the Steelers, the Lions, and the Broncos. He also follows it up with a high upside tight end in Kyle Rudolph, who who a lot of people compared, you know, out of Notre Dame to you know uh, the Gronkowski. Uh, you know, you get a lot of comparisons about that, but you, you gotta wait till you see it on the field. But by all means, he's having an outstanding off season. And then you you pair it with a stud wide receiver in Rivers. So Orman did a very good mention Dwayne Bowe, who he took as a fourth wide receiver. So he has a flex player in Bo and a flex player in McGahee, and he has starters in Smith and Redmond. So very solid job by Orman. Alex, do you uh do you see anything that uh that stands out? Um I'm sorry I
5: am sorry I you broke up a little. Are you asking me about Orman's team?
2: Yeah, Money Inc.
5: Yeah, I uh I like what he was doing, uh actually quite a bit. Uh, until um until the Rudolph pick, only because uh I think I, I don't know, I I think he may have waited a little too long for for the um for the tight end. Uh, I think that team is, is really primed to be uh to be a really solid team and I think that may be uh uh his weak spot there. Um unless you know, unless uh, he's able to get some to get breakout production from the tight end position. But uh, again, that's just uh, you know, it's not really about uh, specific you know who likes specific player more. You know, I may like him less, and he may like him more, and uh, in the end, in the end, uh, we'll see uh, what the results are. But I really like what he was doing up to that point.
2: We we skip over to Chris Holland and Alex Alex Blake's team. I, McCoy has obviously been a sensational player. Jamal Charles was uh, just a, such an unfortunate story for fantasy drafters everywhere last year, Lou, when he went down with that terrible injury. They bring in Peyton Hillis, and it seems like Jamal Charles has been a very quick healer to this point. Uh, what do you think of Jamal Charles this year?
4: Well, I love him. I, I mean, I, I have him ranked really high, and, and assuming he's healthy, he is the guy, uh, let me tell you, Jamal Charles took me down in a lot of leagues last year, and you know there was no handcuff. I kept Reaching for what I thought might have been handcuffs, it just wouldn't work out. Uh, assuming he's healthy, that's a great player, and they they paid a good price for him. Uh, it, it was how's this? It was very difficult for me to pass on Jamal Charles, but getting Darren Sproles in the Saints' offense uh, doesn't bother me all that much. But I, I sure, you know, LaShawn McCoy with Jamal Charles is a pretty sick combination potentially.
2: Well, Jamal Charles, if he if he's the same Jamal Charles as he's been in the past, he was a top five running back, only getting two hundred and thirty carries with the Thomas Jones show. We got so frustrated with Haley and the way he coached that, that guy. I, I remember spending a high pick on him and you're just you're always saying to yourself, This guy has thirty points written all over him and they just won't give him the ball. And they kept putting Thomas Jones in. You bring in Peyton Hillis, who's a legitimate a legitimate uh player in the league when he's healthy. So the, the the question is, is, is if that situation continues, if Jamal Charles is healthy is the only question you really have. And you've got yourself one heck of a running back at the end of the second round. So very, very good to see uh, Charles is still going in the second. Mike, go ahead.
3: Yeah. And one thing, Scott, uh, they're going to have to take a look at a quarterback here pretty soon, but uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm, starting to look at this team and I like the makeup of this team because there's a lot of running backs, there's a lot of opportunities there. Sean Green, uh, you know, I mean, he's gonna he's gonna be given every opportunity in the world for the Jets. Uh the Jarvis Green Ellis, uh for Cincinnati. I mean, same deal. So uh you know, Donald Brown, I didn't really care for that pick much, but uh you know, they wanted to go ahead and uh, do that and then get the uh Get, get their tight end uh, shored up, so uh, I would, uh, I could see a decent quarterback coming coming here for uh, Chris and uh, Alex in the uh, in the come around in round ten.
2: Uh, Lou, the coaching tree again, as we've mentioned it before. This is the Red versus Blue show on FFA, FPA Radio, and and we're speaking with Lou Tranquilli from BFD Fantasy. We've got Alex Kaganowski from the FFPC. And we're talking about the coaching tree again because Chuck Pagano comes into Indianapolis. We have Bruce Arians coming from Pittsburgh. Can we expect to see a Pittsburgh type of offense with Andrew Luck? Because I, I want to know what to expect from Donald Brown. I want to know what to expect from guys like Kobe Fleener and Andrew Luck this year. They're going to be behind. If Donald Brown is the starter, eighth-round pick, uh, he averaged a, a nice yard per carry last year. It seems like good value to me.
4: I, I don't believe... I I want to answer your first part of the question. Chuck Pagano, I think, will stay out of the way as it applies to the offense. He's going to let Bruce Arians do his thing. I think that's why he hired him. Uh, I believe you will see the Pittsburgh Steelers offense in as much of it as you can see in Indianapolis this year, and I think more of that focuses on the wide receiver position than it does on the the, uh, running back position because I don't think they're going to be able to run the football very well at all in in Indianapolis, I don't think the offensive line is all that good, so uh, I, I think it's going to be a really challenged running game. I, I hey, listen; he's a starting running back uh, in the NFL, and you get him in the eighth round. That's always you know a, a nice deal when you can pull it off. So, sure, a good value. I don't know that he's going to be any earth-shattering. How's this? I prefer to not draft players like Donald Brown in the eighth. I'll go and take. Usually not even a quarterback. But so I'll take Jaquiz Quiz in the ninth and, and see if I I you know hit a home run rather than take somebody that uh, is a little if you will more steady or, or, or predictable in uh, in a uh, Donald Brown.
2: Alex, I'm going to turn this one over to you. Let's take a look at Jeff Odell's team, Anacott Steel out of the four hole. The four hole is that uh, that spot where you say you know what I can go in any direction I want. I can take Calvin. I can take Rogers. I can take Graham. Um, or I can take Ryan Matthews. You've got four positions now. Jeff chose to take the tight end position, but he didn't stop there. He he took a quarterback and a tight end in the first three rounds. And so you ask yourself, well, what's going to happen? Nelson, Macklin, Gore, Stewart, Starks, and Randy Moss. Did that strategy work in your opinion? N- not necessarily. Will it work? But for you, would would that strategy would that strategy work? Uh,
5: I think what. Jeff did here work, in my opinion, based on uh, what I'm seeing in terms of construction and even in terms of just the players that that I kind of like. And not that I not that I like Gore and Jonathan Stewart all that much, but you know the way he what he's doing here, he's going to end up starting obviously the two tight ends um, and and the the two wide, two uh, three wide receivers most likely. I think he's counting on starting Moss every every hmm. week or if not more so, sure. let's say another wide receiver that he picks up later. Uh I think what he's trying to do here is saying to himself, I'm probably gonna end up starting two running backs every week. Um unless all three of them end up uh being productive. But I, I don't think that's probably what he has in mind. He's probably saying to himself, just two and, and that's a, you know, and then that's fine. And and he's got enough horses to do that and certainly he's got enough uh explosion at the other position I mean, look at those top five picks. In my opinion, if he gets even, let's say, I don't know, 12-point production from his two-running back position on average, I think this team could be really dangerous.
2: Mike, I do like that team as well. James Starks, an eighth that Alex mentioned, yeah. uh, it looks like a starting running back in the league, but granted, Green Bay's starting running back, that that's the only caveat there. But to get that as a flex option seems pretty solid to me the question for me is Jonathan Stewart I mean he was pretty productive last year even though Cam Newton was there now you bring in Mike Tolbert uh is Jonathan Stewart somebody that's going to be on your teams when you show up in Vegas this year Mike
3: no no way uh I I can't do Jonathan Stewart uh because there's just so many uh there's so many
2: mouths to feed
3: yeah I mean it's just tough it's just tough I can't do Jonathan Stewart uh, but I can do Frank Gore, and I can do James Starks, uh, which is kind of interesting. Uh, and the way he drafted, uh, you know, I'm just looking, and uh, I'm just going, wow, you know, what What can he improve? Uh, of, course, of course, he took uh, Mikel Uh I like I like LaSure as well. But uh, Jonathan Stewart just kind of bugs me a little bit. Um, looking at Chris and Alex, they did exactly what I thought they would do, uh, going with the quarterback with uh, Ben Roethlisberger. They had to do something. It's not bad to get uh, Big Ben in round ten when you have what you're looking in front of you.
2: Uh, I I think it's totally fascinating that Cutler's still out there this late in a draft. I mean, if I can get a quarterback sure. like Jay Cutler uh, backing up backing him up real quick with a Robert Griffin or an Andrew Luck to still have some upside. Uh, you know, obviously the offensive line is the question mark with Cutler, and the guy just has no time to throw the ball. And, look, there you go, Chris and say they back him up, uh, Roethlisberger with Griffin. Yeah. So yeah. if I could get yeah. a Cutler here, though, and wait, and I could just load up on positions, and I could have, you know, four running backs, four wide receivers, and two tight ends before I before I have to take a quarterback in the That's 11th fun. and I still get Cutler, that seems like a winning philosophy as well. So.
3: Sure. I mean, he's got it all covered right now. I mean, I, I go from team to team, and I'm looking at him. And right now, uh, I'm seeing a guy that's got. Uh, he, I mean, he's got four, four good backs basically, and uh, he might need to work on wide receivers, but that's what he's going to do in round twelve, thirteen, fourteen. I'm sure uh, he'll work on his wide receivers tandem. But uh, he's got two tight ends that are solid. You don't have to worry about those. And uh, he's looking, he's looking pretty good at
5: quarterback.
2: Lou, there's one pick here on this draft board that's, that stands out to me more than anything that, I, that I've that i seen in quite some time. And, and I bet you we see more of this, but it's in the sixth round, the third pick of the sixth round, and it's Mike Wallace. To see this guy falling to the sixth round because he's holding out, right? That's the only reason. I mean, his second half of the year wasn't as productive as, you know, Andrew Antonio Brown, he, he definitely dropped off in the second half of the season. He did the complete opposite of what he did. Percy Harvin was dominant and outperformed Calvin Johnson in the second half, whereas Mike Ball fell off the map. Now he's holding out, and teams are able to snag him out in the sixth round we're seeing now. I mean, does Pittsburgh's a, a football town. Do you really think Pittsburgh's going to let their best wide receiver, their best offensive player, sit on the sidelines and hold out while they don't have a running back in, in hall I mean, are people overreacting just because we're not in August yet? I, you know, we're not late in August in preseason.
4: Well, I, I tell you, Scott, I think there's two two answers to the question. Uh, there's a slight overreaction to the holdout. Uh, however, I think the fantasy football crowd, uh, especially at the high stakes level, is a is really um, smart football fan. And at this point, and this is my personal analysis of Mike Wallace as well he is the Sean Jackson who went just a couple of picks later in the 6th round they are if you will one trick ponies and the one trick is run down the field really fast have the quarterback throw you the football uh, i'm i'm not as high on Mike Wallace i like him but uh he's an up and down player and you brought it up before this is a head to head league from a standpoint of get the head to head and you are the number one seed and you get yourself into the championship round. So Mike Wallace, Deshaun Jackson, very similar players, one trick ponies. And I think fantasy football players are onto that.
2: You you see Kenny Britt, Alex going in the fifth round. I mean, it's almost a similar situation where you have risk associated with the pick, but they both have tremendous upside. So I'm just kind of curious. Well, wait a minute. Did I, where, where is Britt? Does anybody see Kenny Britt?
4: Yeah. He's been selected.
2: (laughs) Yeah. I, where are all the board? Yeah, Brit
5: Brit's got a whole slew of issues <laughs> to worry about with both D's now. Uh, you know, so nine I, nine. I nine yeah, nine, un, yeah, until you until you see Brit run around um in preseason, which you may very well not, uh, yeah, this guy's just gonna stay right down where he is. Can I point something out right next to Brit? This is very interesting. I just noticed um that Ben Tate uh was passed on by the by Hudson, uh the Arian Foster owner, um, uh, at the eight nine turn. And uh apparently for, well for whatever reason maybe he wasn't too high on, on the whole handcuff pick. Um but uh maybe he thought that he had a chance to get him at the ten eleven turn. And interestingly enough, uh he probably had a a really good chance to get Ben Tate and then uh, Glenn just decided to uh, stick the uh, dagger in <laughs> one pick
0: before
5: <laughs> yeah. Hudson and take Tate right away
2: from him. So I find that interesting. That, that's, that's interesting. Well, you, you, you do bring up a good point there. I think owners are looking to – you look at this FPC draft, you look at this red versus blue draft to figure out where am I going to need to take these guys when it's my turn, when I'm on the clock, where's the right spot to take these guys? If you had it to do over again, I think you do go ahead and back up your guy and you look at this and and maybe use this as that learning experience because it is early August. And and I think drafts are going off right now at 10 o'clock, Alex. I think you guys had drafts lining up for tonight. So I'm sure people are watching this one ahead of that one. It's an hour ahead. And so they can kind of get an idea of where they should be taking their, their important handcuffs. You have an MJD. You think a guy like Rashad Jennings should go here at some point because, there's a lot of risk with MJD. You have a Toby yeah, Carey he, he nice yeah. uh, for Adrian Peterson. So, these are these very important handcuffs. Mike, you're, you're a guy that uh, believes in, in backing up your, your running back. Are, are we looking at the right spot for these handcuffs here? Because it's a very important – I do, I position. do. Yeah, this is this is a stretch uh, around uh, 10,
3: 11, 12. In my opinion, this is a stretch where He's you start for looking for it. For it. This is the time where you go. Okay, okay. I need to. Uh, I need to back somebody up, and uh, I, you know, I was kind of surprised by that. Of course, uh, Titus Young. I mean, I mean, that's Ty Young. In my opinion, is going to be one of the, the most elite wide receivers in the NFL this year. But I mean, you know, you, you had to just continue to back 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 yourself up in any way you can, and uh, so.
2: Well, we are we are looking at the FPC draft. We are live. It is the round 12. Johnson Dwyer just goes another interesting player who may be Isaac Redmond handcuffed. From all accounts, this kid had a had a good year uh, or a good college uh, you know pedigree at Georgia Tech and comes in and just can't learn the playbook or whatever the issues are. Seems like he hasn't been much of a factor in the league at all. A lot more interesting guys here to talk about. Uh, A.J. Green was taken in the third round by Lou Tranquilli. Lou. AJ Green is one of those guys that people look at what he did with when he was in the game and they say, "You know what? It's not a leap to think that this guy can take that next step." Uh if he can get a little bit more, a few more targets in this offense, 115 targets, he turned into nine touchdowns and 1100 yards, his catch rate about 50%. Uh what do you what, do you, what did you see in AJ Green that made you say, "You know what? This is a guy that can lead me in head-to-head uh, head-to-head type league."
4: Well, I I don't Uh, I don't see that there's much at the other wide receiver position this year. I think they will focus on the tight end, and I, again, wasn't scared to go out and take the tight end out of Cincinnati as well. And the running game, I I believe, will be about the running game. It won't be as much uh, of the pass catching. So uh, I look at the Cincinnati Bengals as a team that's going to try to play defense, focus on their number one wide receiver, maybe get a Muhammad Sanu involved or or whoever the the number two wide receiver is, but – A.J. Green is a, a special talent, and I, I think they will feed him the football, and that's why I was comfortable taking him as the number one.
2: Alex, who do you have higher, Julio or A.J. Green? That's that's a uh, kind of a flip of a coin. Oh, that's a good question. Um, I I I think
5: if I'm as my number one wide receiver, I think I go with A.J. Green. Maybe if that's how I'm building my team, if that matters. Uh, it it, it w- might matter to me. I think uh, I'm not sure if I would feel comfortable with Julio as my number one. So, so if we're talking about the third round, uh, then and, and I have two running backs, then I probably take AJ Green as Lou did. Uh, maybe if I if I only have one running back and, and and I'm looking at my number two wide receiver, I would go for a little bit more of the sexy explosive upside of Julio.
2: Two running backs that I'd like to hit on before the show is over. We've got about 13 minutes left in the show. We've, we've we've had a pretty good run here. I think we could go for three hours if we really wanted to. But Sean Green in the fifth round, Lou and Frank Gore in the sixth. These are guys. Uh, Frank Gore is obviously a uh, one that has kind of fell from the fantasy players' good graces. Not necessarily all fantasy players, but the high-stakes veterans seem to have dispatched him pretty well off the face of the earth. He 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 finished running uh, running back 17 last year. And he didn't miss a game. So the question is, is it gonna get any better or worse when you're signing all these other options? What do you think about uh Frank Gore this year?
4: No, I think he's going in the right spot. I, I mean listen, you you certainly and, I, and I'm gonna to dare to say it, could get lucky and he could finish much better than a sixth round running back because Frank Gore is a great player. However, this coaching oh, staff they're yeah, they're well their 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 history as a coaching as a staff coach in college even college. Was of a running back on committee, and they they've done nothing but add talent to the backfield and talk about sharing the workload. So I think Frank Gore has resigned to the fact that he's sharing the workload, and I think the uh, the coaches have made it clear.
5: And and the other problem with Gore is he stopped catching the ball last year. So you kind of imagine you, you must you got to imagine that that's going to continue.
4: Sure. Sure. Yeah, so I think it only gets worse. I think he's going in the right spot. And, by the way, I think Sean Green could be better than a fifth-round running back still, but I, I, I'm i fearful that the Jets' offense is falling apart in front of our eyes.
2: Well, we did pose a, a question to our Twitter Red, at RedBlueRadio. We posed a question, uh, Calvin Roddy Marshall or Chris Johnson, MJD, and Peterson – and, uh, one of the first votes we had was from Artie Shells with a Z. Calvin, Roddy, and Marshall, no doubt. So there you go. You've got the wide yeah, receivers yeah. being the, uh, more attractive piece there, uh, for the fantasy drafters out there on Twitter. Uh, you can email the show, redblueradio at gmail.com. We'd be glad to take your questions there, especially next week as we move in. We're going to be analyzing this draft every which way, but sideways because this is the draft that we use to evaluate our FPC drafts. Alex, FPC has become one of these things that if you're free on a night or plans fall through or what have you, even if you didn't have something scheduled, you might just look at your laptop and say, oh, you know what, let me, let me get in one of these FPC drafts. I bought a three-pack. I think I'll get one in tonight. It seems like FPC has kind of evolved to that, and you have guys that do multiple, multiple teams, double-digit teams in the FPC. It just seems very fascinating to see a contest like that develop.
5: Yeah, that's probably the the reason why it's growing so much because of the availability of the drafts every day. Um we have the two draft slot draft times at seven and ten and we've been filling drafts uh every night in addition to the ones that have been filling earlier, uh some weeks ago, we're filling uh two drafts a day it seems like from scratch. So yeah, people are doing exactly that. They're looking at the schedule. Oh, there's nine teams left here, yeah, that's gonna fill. Oh, you know, there's three teams left here. Let me jump in that. So that's exactly what's happening. It's like, you know, are we going to the movies with the wife this this week, uh, tonight? No. Oh, FPC night. <laughs> yeah,
2: that's a good point. I, I, that's I, pretty, I'm that's still pretty cool,
3: Alex. It. I mean, it's, pretty, it's pretty neat to see the evolution of uh, what you and Dave have done uh, with the FFPC. Uh, yeah, it makes you feel good. And, uh, I tell you what, it's going to be my first year in uh, in Vegas this year, and I just can't wait. I can't wait for the uh, the Wednesday night, the Thursday night, and then uh, draft on Friday night, and then just uh, have fun uh, watching football on Sunday. But uh, you guys got a great thing going, man.
5: Just keep it rolling. I appreciate it, and to all the listeners, a real quick plug, Scott, if I may, about the sure. FFPC. If you guys are uh, all the the new uh, Football Guys Players Championship. Um, drafters, uh, if you're if you like what you what you are seeing in the in this format, the FFPC main event is the sister contest and it's the identical format with a little bit of a higher price tag. But you get to come out to Vegas and you get to party your butt off. And if you can't do that on a short notice, then you can still stay home and draft. Uh, a little bit more money involved, a little bit more prizes, but uh, just as much fun. Good deal. Yeah.
2: Yep. Uh, I think all of us will be there in Vegas this year, Alex, uh, to draft in the FFPC. And uh, the FPC has, has just become a phenomenon here uh, that we all enjoy. And this is the draft that kicks it off. This gives everybody kind of that starting ADP from the high-stakes perspective. Most of these guys are big-time players. They're winners. You don't get in this league unless you're ready to prove it because you know you're not going to get a value. Other drafts that you get in, you may see guys uh, fall. You may not. You may be able to get a Stephen Ridley You know, in the eighth or ninth round here, you're going to get him in the early seven. Uh, That's kind of what you've learned to expect here from the Red vs. Blue show, uh, the FPC draft. So we've got about eight minutes left. Lou, I just want you to kind of peruse the draft board here a little bit and do what I've been doing. I've just been kind of picking things out that I see. Uh, I see guys counting on Torrey Smith as their number two wide receiver this year. I see guys counting on Eric Decker as their number one wide receiver this year. Both of those decisions are are, are ones we could pick apart for hours, but what are you you looking at here that that you see in this draft? Yeah, I
4: really really like uh, what what John Haskell Haskell. and Sean Coots did, prestige worldwide, Uh, both very good players. Took a lot of risk at the running back position. Uh, I think they're going to hit on one or two of these guys, And, and with Andre Nix, Demarius Thomas, and Mike Wallace, who we talked about before, plus Rob Gronkowski, I think they're going to do all right with that strategy. Uh really, i got to tell you, I, I like a lot of the teams. I'm looking down at them, and, and I, I like a lot of the teams. You guys have liked uh, Jeff O'Dell's team. You were talking about him. Uh, I would agree. I, I, I think the uh, the three wide receivers he ended up uh, grabbing, especially uh, Jeremy Macklin, uh, who he did get before me, I, I would have taken Macklin because he is a steady and, and explosive producer. So like him a lot. Uh, I don't know, this is a good group of drafters, that's all there is too. Glenn Lowry, uh, Glenn Ration X is always a tough competitor. So, I, you know, again, I, I really, this is going to be a fun one to review. I, I think we'll we'll review it on BFD Fantasy Football, and it'll be a fun one to review because I'll actually get to uh, do, a, you know, a what I was thinking with this draft board. So, um, you know, that adds a little bit of element to it, and, you know, it, it's an interesting draft, that's for sure.
2: Glenn Lowe, is the name you mentioned there, he's a he's a high-stakes veteran and, and almost won the damn the whole damn thing last year. You already had John Haskell, who's won the whole thing and experienced that. Glenn comes into this draft, and, and we, we talked about the early part, landing Percy Harvin in the fourth, Vic in the fifth. Sell it. He's got the Vic-Sellick combo. He's going for gold with Helu and Fleener and Britt. And then he gets Tate and Wilson and Blackman. You see the trend there in the in the names? Those are all just high. The ceiling is tremendous. Uh, The floor is also very, very low for every one of those guys. I mean, Helu might be a timeshare. Fleener, we're still not sure if it's going to be him or the other tight end, Dwayne Allen. And then you've got Britt, Tate, Wilson, and Blackman, and now LaFell. All high-ceiling guys. So I I think that's something you have to look at when you see these high-stakes guys that know how to win. There's something, too, taking those high upside guys. David Wilson, if Ahmad Bradshaw goes down, who's the starter? Well... It might not be Wilson, but he certainly has that upside to, at the right point of the season, kind of take over that job and and be electric. So,
4: Uh, Alex, you're a a, nice
2: fan. uh, Coughlin's not a real rookie guy, though, is he?
5: No, he's not a rookie guy. And, um, you know, I I, I, I will be honest. I don't know much about uh, Wilson, uh, but I do know a little bit about the guys ahead of him, and I'm assuming that they are ahead of him um and and that's uh Delray Scott um who you know had a little bit of a ha, had a little uh, flash last year I think it was in preseason um so you know I wouldn't be surprised if if Wilson is uh, is not the second guy to come in um especially keep in mind that uh, you know the most important thing uh on that offense is and Lou is probably going to agree with me is to protect the one guy, and that, his name is Eli. So it's all going to depend on how well uh, David Wilson protects Eli when he's in there, because Amon Brashaw is one of the best in the game at picking up the blitz. So uh, I think
2: that's what really is going to come down to. Alex, totally thank you, agree. Thank you for being on the the show, buddy. I thank you for being a, being a part of this and allowing us to. Uh, host this show every year. It's a, it's always a lot of fun for us to get the season started on it, the FPC, and uh, thanks again for uh, for being on tonight, man.
5: Thank you very much for having us.
2: I mean, All right. thanks, Alex. All right. That was Alex Kaganowski. And Lou, BFD Fantasy, it's having another big year real quick. Just, uh, y- you had the Sean Green discount. You've got the uh, the coaching streak. <laughs> You've got the breakout player. You've got the uh, comeback player. I love it. Uh, making, uh, making, uh, setting things for a big 2012 for BFD Fantasy.
4: Yeah, we sure are. And if you don't mind me, you know the plug. You got the two guys that you mentioned that won it and almost won it, uh, both BFD subscribers. So uh, proud, proud to say that because uh, they're great players and the fact that they, you know, do subscribe to the site is uh, genuinely appreciated and uh, I think a good testament to what what we do, which is a hardcore focus on fantasy football. Uh, the coaching tree. If you haven't read it. Um I'm the guy who writes it, eighteen thousand words. It's it's the very heavy version of a coaching tree. I I think it's worth the price of admission alone, Scott. It's uh how's this? Jaquiz Rogers is one of the guys that I uh I identified as a sleeper in in June, uh based on the coaching tree and now you start to read that you know, Jaquiz could be a third three down back and he's gonna be involved in the passing game. So the coaching tree is really where it all starts, and I, I think it's well worth the uh, the price of admission alone.
3: Uh,
4: and the coaching
3: tree, yeah, I agree, tree is the to
2: print. Thank you, man. I mean,
3: I, I agree, Lou, because uh, you know we, when we started bringing you on the show, uh, as far as the coaching tree, you were talking to us about it and uh, everything that went along with it. Uh, it makes sense, man, and it makes a it makes a heck of a lot of sense when you're breaking down every position. Uh, the coaching tree, so you, you can't forget about it. And I
4: appreciate Thank it, Lou. you. Now, well, my pleasure. And, and guys, thanks for having me. It's been a, it's been a lot of fun to draft and talk about it on the uh, on the show here. All
2: right, Lou. Well, thanks. Lou. We will see you in Vegas. And uh, there's Absolutely. another pick by Glenn Lowy right there, Brian Quick High Side Guys. Lou, thanks, man. We appreciate your time and being part of it. And uh, good luck the rest of the draft. Finish strong, man.
4: Yeah, appreciate it. Thanks again, guys.
2: Uh that was Lou Tranquilly, BFD fantasy, and we've seen what he did with the draft. Mike, as always, buddy, it's uh it's always great to have you as part of Red It's uh it's a it's a lot of fun what we've started here over the last couple of years. I don't know how many shows we've done. Uh they're all on iTunes Radio for you to go all the way back to the glorious beginning when <laughs> we're stumbling yeah. over ourselves. And uh yeah. this was just a lot of fun. Orman Rose, one of our defending champions, Glenn Lowy, John Haskell, Lou and all the cast uh, on this draft. It was a fantastic time, man. And Dave Gerzak's in the chat room, too, one of the owners of FFPC. So uh, thanks for uh, letting us do this, Dave.
3: It's going to be fun to break it down. And uh, once we finally figure it out tonight and uh, in the morning to see who got what, it's going to be fun to break it down. And uh, I would like to see that.
2: All right, guys. Well, it's all over but the shout, we're in overtime now for Red versus Blue. But we will see you guys next week. The FPC draft will be here. You can go back and download the the podcast if you need to, uh, to check out all the action. We'll see you next week.
1: You've been listening to Red vs. Blue Sports Talk Radio, where Planet Red and Big Blue Nation collide. With your hosts, Scott Atkins and Michael Trent. Please join us next time.
2: Mike, it was a a heck of a show. It was a lot of fun. I'm going to go out here and drink a beer and toast this one, man. This is a... This was a, a heck of a draft. I like the McGahee picks in the eighth round. I like these I mean, Peyton Manning going to have that offense rolling. It's going to be fun to watch Denver. They're going to kick off the season against Pittsburgh. We're going to be uh, somewhere in Vegas watching these games on Sunday night football. Uh, and you're going to, you're either going to, I think most people are going to leave this draft really liking their team, their team. Maybe not their chances that's 150 grand because you're, you've got some steep competition here. But I think everybody leaving this draft is going to be really pretty happy about their team, because I don't see a lot of bad drafts in this one. Usually you have a couple that stand out, and you're like, oh, man, that's going to be tough. But not tonight. Most teams look like they covered all their bases, they had a plan going in, and they've executed it pretty well. And I guess that means we lost Mike, so (laughs) I'm the only one left. Uh, guys, I, I appreciate you all letting us do this. FPA Radio, Red versus Blue. We're on iTunes. We're on Fantasy Sports Channel. We, uh, we're happy to do it for you guys. We really enjoy it. Uh, we like the Jonathan Baldwin pick there in the 13th round. That's another uh, player we like. We love the Brian Quick pick. Uh, somebody that might be a number one wide receiver for Bradford, a team that's going to be behind a lot. Definitely keep your eye on that. Denarius Moore has been making all kinds of catches. He's going in the 8th round. Should be a very good target for Palmer should be much improved from last year. And then obviously at tight end, if I'm going to wait on a tight end, I'm going to take a Jacob Tammy. I'm going to take a Gresham or a Selleck, one of these guys. And I like the Kyle Rudolph pick, uh, really Orman's going out on a limb here, taking him as his number one tight end in the ninth round. So lots of good picks we could talk about here. Uh, the draft board will be available. We'll continue to keep it posted and up in the, up in front of everybody. So you have it. And, uh, that's it man that's all we got it's been fun two hours we should have went three because we 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 could keep going on this thing all night long and get the uh get the get the players on it and, and get their insights it's been that much fun i hope you've enjoyed it we'll see you next week <laughs> Cause all that hype don't feel the same next year, boy Yeah and I'll be right here in my spot with a little more cash than I already got. Tripping off you cause you had your shot. With my
1: skin tan and my hair long. My fans who've been so patient. Me and 40 back to work, but we still smell like a vacation. Hate your rumors, hate the bullshit. Hate these fucking allegations. I'm just feeling
2: like the drone is for the taking.
3: Watch me,
0: it All I care about is money in the city that
3: I'm from. I'ma sip until I feel it. I'ma smoke until it it's done. I don't really give a fuck and my excuses that I'm young. And I'm only getting old. somebody shut. I told you I'm on one. Yeah, fuck it, I'm on one.
0: Yeah, I said I'm on one.